It's time to lock in. The most amazing, sensational, dramatic, exciting, thrilling finish. Live from Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey LeBounty and Michael Brunner. Do your job and play together. The final drive. Live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it! Welcome to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer Michael Bronner, joining you this fantastic Friday afternoon. Hope everyone has had a tremendous work week, and thank you for tuning in here to the final drive. And, of course, you can always get in touch with us at 251-694-1055, or you can reach us in the app. We love to correspond with you on the app as well. And a, a little bit of breaking news last night. Simone Eli at WKRG Channel 5 was mentioned in the fact that the city of Mobile was going to be considering selling historic Lad People's Stadium to the Mobile County public school system. And I think that when that news kind of got to breaking last night, you knew that there was going to be some rumblings and grumblings, as there always is when you have a transition. But I will say this. The Mobile County Public School System has done a tremendous job providing four new stadiums that are getting ready to be up and running next season and excited about this 2023 season. I had an opportunity to visit each and every one of those stadiums throughout the spring and the Mobile County Public School System on-campus stadiums for everyone except Williamson and Murphy. And we all know that Murphy is kind of landlocked, but the news today that it would be possibly a $1 sale for the city of Mobile to go ahead and turn over the keys to Lad People Stadium. And wanted to talk to my good buddy, Johnny Hatcher, who does a phenomenal job representing his district and the Mobile County Public School System. Johnny, good afternoon. Thanks for joining me, my friend. Good afternoon, Corey. It's a pleasure to be here, buddy. How are you? Man, I'm absolutely too blessed to be stressed. I want to thank you for taking time to, to join me this afternoon. And when you start looking at Lad People's Stadium, of course, it's historic Lad People's Stadium, over 70-plus years old. You know, you had South Alabama who decided to go ahead and, and build Hancock-Whitney Stadium, which has all the bells and whistles that you could possibly want. And you can currently see... People continuing to walk the tracks at Lad People Stadium. You see carnivals and fairs. Of course, you have your HBCU games. And with Williamson waiting on a stadium and Murphy being landlocked, you still would have Mobile County Public School System schools playing there. But I think that there is so much more that the Mobile County Public School System can do if the city of Mobile goes ahead and finalizes this deal. Well, I tell you, I'm, I'm looking forward to it myself, personally. Um, I can tell you that uh, uh, Mayor Stenson, in, in my opinion, uh, has done a phenomenal job uh, revitalizing downtown. It's uh, in need of some more help. Uh, we need 
a place for Murphy to play football. Uh, if they're gracious enough to not only sell it to us for $1 and give us a uh, $10 million is what I'm hearing uh, on top of it, then uh, we should do more than just put a stadium there. We should go ahead, in my opinion, turn it into a sports complex. I think that's important. Um, it's just it's too much going on downtown Mobile, uh, growth-wise and everything, not to have something like that to draw in these, continue to draw these games, let them play there, go ahead, have uh, championship football games, uh, state championship football games. We could uh, have baseball. We could do uh, pretty much anything, you know, track, uh, tennis. I can think of a lot of uses for that property. And the great thing, we're speaking with Johnny Hatcher. He's the Mobile County District 5 Commissioner for the Mobile County Public School System. And you're exactly right that there are so many different needs that Mobile has as a county and as a city. And you look at the fact that you can have a baseball facility or you look at what Sarah Land is getting ready to build with their sports complex, going to bring great revenue and travel to that city. Mobile can have the same exact thing right there at Lad Peebles Stadium. And I think that if it is a sports complex that can go on that site, that, again, you can continue to have great HBCU football. You can also have multiple uses in regards to, like, the Battle of the Bands. You can continue to have the fairs and carnivals. But it's not landlocked right there. And I think that that's why you're able to go ahead and have an opportunity for the MCPSS even though that there are four other brand new stadiums, beautiful stadiums, or as a matter of fact, that these schools are taking great pride in and communities taking great pride in, it's just sometimes time for an upkeep and a change, and this is a great way to do it. Well, a lot of the things that I'm hearing is, you know, um, when we were going to, you know, the, the proposal in the beginning was to go ahead, take Ladd Stadium, uh, because we didn't have any land at the time for Williamson, to go ahead and let them share the stadium. And Williamson did not want that. Everybody else had their own stadium. They wanted theirs. They deserved it. Guys, y'all remember that in the media. That's how it was, Corey. Sure. Uh, that's all we heard in the media. You know what? I agreed with them. I said, you know what? There's some property right here. We've been using it. Let's strike a deal. Let's go ahead and make this happen for them. We've already allocated the money. Let's make it happen. Superintendent Fred Gill worked very close with Mayor Stimson, uh, the council, um, and was able to go ahead and, and, and get that uh, put together for us. Um, and we really do. We appreciate that. Uh, now everybody's saying, well, that's just dumb. you got a stadium you're building there, and you're building another stadium here. Well, maybe so, but I don't see it that way. I see it as we're going down there and we're putting in a, a profitable sports complex plus a, sta a home stadium for Murphy High School, which is well-deserved. They have, you know, where are we going to put it? Where are we going to put Murphy Stadium? There's nowhere to put it. You cannot think of anywhere we can put that stadium better than to put it down there. And more, and, and honestly, you know, not only are we getting the state of the land, we're getting $10 million too. Come on, guys. Well, what do you want? A goose that lays golden eggs too? It just don't work that way. 
we're going to have to go ahead and be prepared to put some money in there and do what's right. And and I promise you, it will be a good thing for not only Mobile, but Mobile County Public School System as well. And I think that's where the win-win comes into this situation to where the city is in need of a sports complex because it truly does not have one. I know that we've talked about the aquatic center coming to Mobile and, and possibly a water park, but as far as a true sports complex, it's something that Mobile does not have, that other growing cities and other neighboring like Sarah Land and other places in Foley already have true sports complexes. And, and the fact that you can continue to grow from the roots of what Lad Peebles Stadium already is, I, I think that's a great part of what's going on. Well, you know, Corey, here's the thing. Everybody I've talked to, well, there's nothing to do in Mobile. There's nothing for the kids. There's nothing to do. You know, we have we have travel ball. We have to travel out of town. They have they don't have anywhere around here to do travel ball. Man, you ought to see the money they're making with travel ball in all these other areas. We need to do this. We need to do that. Well, hey, guess what? We're moving in that direction. We're, we're, we, we have been listening. We're listening to what people are saying. And we want to do it because, we, you know what, we don't want our kids to have to travel way off to, to go play tournaments. How about we bring the tournaments here to make it more convenient and economical for these people, our, our, our constituents? That's what we need to worry about. We need to worry about our children and making things better for them. And this is one way to do that. Johnny Hatcher, Mobile County District 5 Commissioner with the Mobile County Public School System. Let's take it a step further and talk about the excitement of what's already at hand, which is Viger with the brand new stadium, BC Rain with the brand new stadium, LaFleur with the brand new stadium, and Davidson with the brand new stadium. All these schools having something to call their own, and Williamson with one that is in the works that will be coming to the Maysville community also. I know that that generates excitement that's second to none for these Mobile County Public Schools beginning this 2023 season. Yes, and I'll tell you something. Uh, the one thing all those projects have in common, not one of them in my district. <laughs> but let me tell you what's going on in my district. We are getting turf fields at Dill High School, Bryan High School, Baker. These are my these are ones in my district. We're also getting at Centralnail, Blunt, uh, and I, I forget the rest. But I can just tell you, um, we're doing things. I'm frustrated with facilities because I have a hard time getting them to answer the questions that I need answered. I'll be honest with you. I want to know everything. I want to be the most informed guy there. And I'm tired of the secrecy. I'm tired of them holding things close to their breast and not giving me the information I need. If you don't want me to go out there and say something wrong to the media, make sure I'm better informed. That's what I want. Because I'm going to tell you something. I'm not going to stop talking to you guys. That's not going to happen. I will continue to be 100% transparent and tell you everything I know. Now, when I first ran for this, this is what I said. Corey, you, you and I talked about this. They got four options. They can isolate me. You're not going to isolate me. I'm not going to allow it to happen. You can leverage me. Or they can leverage me. I'm not, there's no way to leverage me. I don't, I'm not going to put myself in a position where I can be leveraged. Okay? You can intimidate, bully me, try to discredit me. 
let me tell you something. That don't work with me either. I've, I've got a very strong type A personality. That ain't going to work. There's the fourth thing that they can do, and it's the one thing that I would prefer that they do, and this is the truth. Just work with me. Do what's right. Quit trying to fight and hide and limit information from me. And when I say this, I'm not talking about Threadgill. Threadgill's been up front telling me everything I need to know. A lot of my principals are up front, honest, give me all the information I need. I'm having problems down there at facilities. I'm having problems getting information out of them. And I've had about enough of it. I'm not going to keep tolerating this. I will not do it. I'm entitled to the information. You're not going to tell me that you can't look at, at leases, that I can't look at leases unless they let me in and tell me I can look at them. Well, that's that ain't the how it works. About it. That, that's I'm a school board member. I'm elected to go in there to make sure everything is being done and ran right. And, and they don't tell me what to do. No, that's what I love about your transparency and you taking that position and the fact that the MCPSS is possibly securing Lad People's Stadium. We'll see where it definitely goes from here moving forward. And I look forward to staying in touch with you, not only about this Lad People situation, but about Theodore High School and everything, the great things that are going on over there as well. Can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy afternoon, Mr. Hatcher, for jumping on with me. Brother, you're welcome. See you soon, Corey. All right. Johnny Hatcher joining us this afternoon on the final drive here as Lad People Stadium possibly being bought for a dollar from the Mobile County Public School System. Coming up next here on the final drive, Hank South will be joining us to talk recruiting here in the Mobile, Baldwin County area and across the country. This is Jason Caffey. Thank you for listening to WNSP 105.5 FM. Welcome back to the final drive. It's a Friday edition of the final drive. And of course, we love talking college football, recruiting, high school football, recruiting 365 here in Mobile, Alabama. And of course, now we have Hank South, who handles a little bit of Texas recruiting for 24-7 sports. And Hank, want to welcome you this afternoon to the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. What's going on, guys? Thanks for having me. Well, I, I will say you're, you're very welcome, and thank you for, for joining us this afternoon. Of course, we know that here locally that Steve Sarkeesian is no stranger to Mobile, Alabama, and the talent that's in this state. But being able to secure K.J. Lacey was a big-time hook'em horns, if you will, for the Texas program moving forward and possibly even challenging a Manning protege at quarterback when he steps on campus here in 2025. Yeah, it was a huge addition, and it was kind of crazy. I covered I cover Alabama recruiting for about eight years, switch over to Texas, and the first day or two I'm on the beat, you know, the, the, one of the top Alabama prospects commits to Texas. But, um, uh, I, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a really big pickup. And, you know, Texas, um, you know, Stark is very – uh, I, I'm trying to find the word. You know, he, he's very selective when it comes to quarterbacks. Um, you know, I think I think a lot of you know college staffs are, but you know, with, with Texas, they had only offered two kids in 2025 so far, and, and that was Bryce Underwood, who's the number one quarterback in the country, um, and then KJ Lacey. And so, 
getting him back on campus um, last weekend for the camp experience. He was actually on campus all weekend. He arrived on Friday and then left late Sunday night. Um, and it was only, you know, he, he went to Austin, um, I think in early May, a couple weeks prior to that camp visit as well, where he really started to feel good about Texas. Um, but, you know, the staff got him back on campus, really pushed for him to go ahead and join the class, become the first 2025 commitment. And uh, and there was a lot of excitement, you know, uh, obviously being in Austin, I was down on campus for the event. And, uh, you know, there was a lot of buzz coming from, from the other recruits from around the building. Uh, so they're really excited about this one um, with KJ Lacey. And, and uh, it, it was nice to see a familiar face um, immediately, you know, right when I, when I switched beats um, uh, with Lacey, having, you know, known, known him for, you know, about the last year or so. Talking to Hank South, former 24-7 covering Bama recruiting, now covering Texas recruiting. Of course, Texas brings in K.J. Lacey. Hank, you had the opportunity to speak with K.J. Lacey after his commitment. What is it about Texas, do you think, that drew in K.J. to the point where he decided to commit to play for the Longhorn? Yeah, you know, I think he, 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 he was telling us, you know, when he visited Austin the first time in May, he said he just felt really comfortable. and kind of checked all his boxes. He, he, he said... Uh, one of the big things talking to Sark was, you know, Sark told him, when you leave Texas, you're going to be NFL ready. They're going to train you to be an NFL quarterback. And then um, he really, you know, he meshed well in the city of Austin on the campus of the University of Texas. He liked that. But the only problem was, at the beginning of May, he was there alone. He was on a seven-on-seven um, trip, and his parents weren't with him. So that was important to him to get them back out. Um, you know, once he got their blessing, when they saw it to their own eyes, they told him, you know, um, it, it you know, completely – lived up to their expectations as well, he felt comfortable going ahead and committing. And so I, I think, you know, just the relationship he's already built with Sark and, and the quarterback coach, A.J. Milwee, um, you know, getting his parents to sign off on it. And, and the fact, you know, Sark has that resume to, uh, you know, develop NFL quarterbacks. You know, we'll see what happens with Quinn Ewers on, on the team this year. And obviously Arch is, is there waiting in the wings. Malik Murphy, another really talented quarterback on their roster. So um, they certainly have the guys in place to, to, you know, start turning out some NFL guys. And, you know, I think I think KJ really liked that Bryce Young comparison from Sark as well. And, you know, how can you not, you know, seeing Bryce go number one overall um, in this year's draft? When recruiting offensive talent, like, does Sarkeesian, do you think, kind of point to the resume like look what i did with the 2020 offense and mac jones and you know look how i can yeah. build an offense or is it you know more selling the vision on texas and you know because obviously the success in texas as a head coach marginal but it hasn't really been there relative in comparison right yeah i think it's a little combo of both i think he's selling the vision and i think he did this with arch manning too selling the vision in that you know Texas has been down for, you know, decade plus. They're, they're ready to get back. They need somebody to build it up for them. They need somebody to build it around. And I think, I think in a way, that's a recruiting pitch. You know, just as Alabama can guarantee, you know, almost guarantee you that you're going to play in a few national championship games. You know, some kids like that. Some kids might like the idea of, you know, bringing, bringing something great back. And so I think, I think he sold KJ on that. I think, you know, that, that kind of vision, I think he does certainly point to his past developing quarterbacks. And I think, you know, he, and I think a lot of college coaches have to do this now. You know, you only need one great year as a college quarterback. You don't have to necessarily come in, play right away as a freshman. You need one great year. We saw that with Mac Jones. Um, we've seen that, you know, in the past as well in other places. And so um, I, I think KJ recognizes that, that, that there is value in, you know, learning from him. And you look at Texas's quarterback roster, and, you know, like I mentioned earlier, Malik Murphy is a guy that they're, he's their backup quarterback. So Arch Manning is third string, but you know he had the opportunity to probably go somewhere in the portal this offseason and start next year. But I think he saw the value in learning from Sark a little bit longer 
Um, and if he doesn't win the starting job next year, maybe looking elsewhere and, and going to a different program then. So I think all those kind of combined the vision um, and, you know, what they want Texas to be and the, and the talent they're, you know, they're building there, I think that was really appealing for, for KJ. Everything is bigger in Texas, Hank, and, you know, coming from per capita Alabama and Mobile especially putting out more pros than really any other big city in the United States of America. Sarkeesian didn't take long to go ahead and find KJ Lacey's teammate. Antonio Coleman was offered yeah. as well by Texas. So he's staying right here in the Port City, and he's trying to get KJ to be his biggest recruiter for a big defensive lineman. Yeah, and, and you know, I caught up with Antonio about the offer. You know, obviously had known him from Bama offering him and, and being in the state of Alabama. Um, and he was talking about, you know, how he wants to get out to Austin. You know, he wants to get out there this month. So I need to check in with him again. But he was talking about even potentially as early as this weekend um, visiting. So, you know, obviously there, there's ties to Alabama on that staff. Stark, obviously, um, Bo Davis, A.J. Milweed, Jeff Banks, Kyle Fled. All those guys spend time at Alabama, so they kind of know the landscape. They obviously know the value. You know, Alabama is one of these states that, you know, doesn't get enough credit for the talent it, it puts out. And, uh, you know, we've seen Texas kind of jump on that um, under Shark. You know, they added Justice Finkley from Hewitt Trustville a couple cycles ago. Um, you know, they're hosting Jordan Ross um, on an official visit to the five-star Ed Rusher from Vestavia Hills. Obviously, everyone in the country would love to flip Ryan Williams from Alabama. Not sure anyone's going to do it, but, you know, he, he's at the top of the list for a lot of people. So, you know, it's a loaded talent uh, group in the state of Alabama, both in 2024, 2025, and, you know, it doesn't really look like it's slowing down beyond that either. So I think um, certainly, you know, having KJ in that region um, to, to help lead some uh, recruiting efforts will, will be beneficial for the staff. Yeah, you brought it up, there, and we're speaking to Hank South, 24-7 recruiting cover in Texas. You brought it up there. I was about to ask you, you know, does K.J. Lacey committing? Like, in, If there was a team that had it, and by all accounts, you know, we talked to Andrew Bowen a couple weeks ago. By all accounts, Ryan Williams seems very solid with Alabama. But if there were a team that had a chance to flip them, like, does this give, does this give Texas an edge at this point? Or would it be Georgia? Would it be Auburn? Like, what, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's really tough to say. I, I, I truly do think he's he's pretty locked in with Alabama. I think he's enjoying the recruiting process as he should. You know, he's still he's been to Auburn, he's been to Georgia. I think he was at LSU last weekend. I would imagine he's going to visit Texas once or twice at some point in the future. Um, but you know, I, I think he committed to Alabama for a reason. I think he feels really comfortable. I think it would take some sort of you know massive shift, and whether it be you know staff changes or or something um, that you know unforeseeable at this point for him to really change his mind. But, you know, it's interesting. You know, we'll see. KJ's going to work on him. But, you know, at the same time, KJ, you know, Texas is going to have to work on keeping KJ, too, with, you know, Ryan Williams probably trying to recruit him to Bama at the same time. So it kind of goes both ways. Um, I, I know KJ's probably still going to visit Alabama in four times. I know he's set to go to the Bama-Texas game this fall in, in Bryant-Denny. So I think Bama will still heavily recruit him. So it's going to kind of be one of those two-way things where, you know, KJ's going to try to get him and, you know, Ryan might listen, but Ryan's also going to try to get him to Bama. So um, it, it'll, it'll be a fun you know, you know, pair of recruitments to, to track the next two years. Hank, as, as we talk about stadium building here in Mobile, Alabama, with Lad People Stadium, the historic Lad People Stadium being in the news as of today, 
everything is always bigger in Texas. High school football to where they have multi-million dollar high school football stadiums that are better than some college stadiums. As you've gone on your recruiting trips and visits so far in this short time you've been there, are you not amazed at the amount of money and the meccas that are in Texas as far as from a high school football stadium standpoint? Yeah, no, I, I'm, it, it's it's pretty it's pretty crazy to see. You know, I, I actually grew up in Texas. I'm from Austin, so you know I've been very familiar. I was able to play high school football in the state, and you know we, we were able to see some pretty. I mean, even you know the smaller stadiums. You know, you know with, with the passion with you know, high school fandom in small towns in Texas. You know they'll pack them out. People are standing around the fences. You know it, it's standing room only. Like it it gets pretty wild. It gets pretty rowdy. You know, and there's so much tradition. There's so much history, and you know different regions of the state. So. You know, it's been really fun. Um, I'm I'm going to enjoy you know kind of getting back here and and, um, and and getting back into that as much as I can, especially in you know the Central Texas region, which I think uh, you know, doesn't doesn't get covered a whole lot. So um, yeah, no, it, it, it's really wild. And you know, Alabama definitely. Uh, I, I really enjoyed you know getting out to schools there. You know, there there was some always there were some memorable places we, we stopped there, and you know I'll definitely miss that. And, you know, but you know I, I won't be far because Texas uh, Texas is recruiting them pretty hard. So. Uh, I think I'll be around a little bit. Hank South joining us here on the final drive. How can everyone follow and read the great article that you and interview that you had with KJ Lacey and so many other top prospects from around the country that you'll continue to be able to talk with that are thinking about making Austin, Texas home. Yeah. I appreciate you guys having me. Uh, my Twitter handle is at Hank South two, four, seven. My website now is, um, is horns 24, seven. So, you know, if you're subscribed to the Alabama 24-7 site, you know, that gets you access to read across the whole network. So, you know, if you're a Bama sub, you can go read our, our great coverage over there with our team guys. We have a lot of great insiders that, you know, have good information on the program. And it certainly would be a good stop for, for Bama fans, you know, ahead of that, that, uh, that showdown with Texas in September in a few months. Looking forward to that matchup because that's going to be huge, not only for those recruits who are thinking about going to Texas, but killing two birds with one stone, seeing Alabama and Texas play each other at Brian Diddy under the lights. Hanks out. Thank you so much. And we look forward to talking with you again very soon. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. The final drive on this fantastic Friday. We'll be right back. Hey, this is Coach Tommy Tuberville, and you're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive here on a fantastic Friday. Hope everyone has had a great work week. You can call us at 251-694-1055, or you can correspond us in the app love to hear from you in the app as well and of course yesterday we made mention the fact that bryce young qb1 for the carolina panthers talked about the big redhead andy dalton on yesterday that's right the red rifle that's right and the fact that bryce young definitely is going to be qb1 in carolina let me let me ask you this you think the panthers are going to win that division I'm just going to throw that out there. I, I, the Panthers, to me, are not going to win that division. No chance? I, I'm not going to say no chance, but I just don't see them winning the division. I I, I, I don't think that they're going to win the division. Because you no. can make a case for really all four teams besides Tampa Bay. I think Tampa Bay is going to be atrocious. 
uh, with Baker Mayfield slash Kyle Trask, a quarterback. But you can make a case for New Orleans, obviously. You can make a case for Atlanta. And I think you can make a case for Carolina at this point. Seven and ten, seven and ten, and seven and ten. That's what I mean. It's like, and obviously New Orleans' biggest issue is quarterback play, and you bring in Derek Carr, who I don't think is going to light the world on fire, but gives you at least a steadying presence. Atlanta made some improvements. Nick Wiggins thinks uh, they're the greatest thing since sliced bread, which, you know, he's delusional, but you can make a case for Atlanta, and you can make a case for Carolina. I mean, if if Bryce excels early, why, why not? I'm... I'm it, to me, it's not a matter of him selling early. I think that I like the fact that the Saints go out and get Derek Carr, and, and he's a little bit more of a veteran. And if he gets off, the Saints get off to a better start than Carolina. They I play think week that's two. Be, yes, that's why I think getting getting off to a good start early is what's going to be critical for the New Orleans Saints moving forward in order for them to give themselves an opportunity to win that division. Now, it, do the Panthers improve on a 7-10 and 10 record? Yes, I do, because Tampa Bay at 8-9 wins that division. It was horrible. I think Tampa might might win like three games this year. Tampa Bay, I they, think they they're going to be so bad. I, I don't know what their over-under is, but it, it, if they, they win five, they, they're to be happy. Yeah. Uh, I don't know, man. New coach, new quarterback. I Obviously, I think uh, you'd be foolish to say it's not the Saints division to lose. I think it is, but... <laughs> That doesn't mean they're necessarily gonna win it. Uh, you know, I can I can see things going wrong for the Saints this year. I'm still not a believer in Dennis Allen. I understand they have a quarterback now, and and they uh, were able to win some games with some truly terrible quarterback play. But yikes, man! I I don't know. I I think it's far from a foregone conclusion the Saints are gonna win this division. I I might go so far as to say I'm picking Carolina to win the division. I I might make that bold of a take. Fourth year coming up for one quarterback that's a former Bama QB and Jalen Hurts. The only other thing that he can do is to win the Super Bowl. And, of course, one of his turnovers is one that's going to haunt him. Mm. Was it the reason the Eagles lost the Super Bowl? I don't think so. Well. Because if he doesn't play lights out outside of that, they, they don't have an opportunity to win it. But Three if that years. turnover didn't happen, they would have won. True, but three years. No, I'm not blaming him on. Three years is what it took Jalen Hurts to to get to the Super Bowl. Do I think Bryce Young can take the Carolina Panthers to the Super Bowl in three years? I think that they will continue to improve every year he's a quarterback, but I don't think the Carolina Panthers will be Super Bowl ready in year number three. Yeah, I mean, they don't necessarily, you know, that's, not really my point. I mean, just that the NFC South is so bad that you could see him in the playoffs this year. Uh, but, yeah, who knows? It's the NFC. There's not a lot of great young quarterbacks in the NFC. Obviously, Hurts, 49ers are always going to be good. But NFC is open. You never. I don't, I'm curious to see what it looks like three years from now. So, out of your, your quarterbacks, I think Tua starting year number four as well. Do, does Tua Tungavailoa have – a better improvement, okay? Nine and eight, and you you look at eight and nine. The New England Patriots, eight and nine. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so which which quarterback out of Mac and Tua will will have a better improvement this year? Well, I think Tua has already reached his ceiling uh, as to what he can be as an NFL quarterback. Have you seen Tua lately? 
Uh, have he's you, he's looking seen his bill? he's looking thick. Uh, you know, not to not to pull out the th word, but yeah, two is looking thick. So I I I mean, I hope Tua stays healthy this year. I don't root for ill will against anyone, but um, yeah, if he can stay healthy and and uh, actually play a full season, I think I guess I guess that would be the ceiling and play the same way he was playing at the beginning of the year. Yes, I, I, I would say that's the ceiling. Uh, as for Tua's ceiling, yes, I think it's distributing. The ball into the hands of two elite playmakers in that offense, and Mike McDaniel's going to put him in spots to succeed. So, yeah, I think Tua can have a really good year this year if he stays healthy, uh, statistically certainly. Uh, I, whether that means he's a phenomenal quarterback, I mean, you know, we've had this debate time and time and time again. I we'll see what happens. There's there's a lot more questions in New England than there are uh, with that offense than there are with the Dolphins' offense because you know what the Dolphins' offense is going to do. They just they have the weapons and the coaching to get it done. So we'll see what happens. Uh, we got we got Patrick on the phone. He wants to tell us who's going to win the NFC South. Go ahead, Patrick. No, this isn't Patrick, man. This oh, is my Nick. I just knew if I said my real name, uh, uh, Michael wouldn't put me through. Oh, my Let me God. Tell you, you, who's fooled, gonna win. you fooled me. Let me tell you who's going to win the NFC South. I've been hearing this for uh, five days, man. I'm sick of it. It's going to be the Atlanta Falcons, uh-huh. and let me tell you why. They're going to win 10-plus games. I'm about First to hang off, up. we got the easiest schedule in the NFL. So does the, the rest of the NFC South. In the NFL. We got a top five ticket wide receiver, a top five ticket tied in, all right? We had the best rookie running back in the league last year, and now he's our third string running back, okay? We got B. John Robinson. He's Christian McCaffrey and Adrian Peterson. You know, Nick, I wanted to hang up on you, but you actually are breaking up, so I am just going to hang up on you anyway, but thanks for the call. Uh, so... Yeah, Nick. Uh, like I said, you know, this is this is the propaganda I've been hearing for for Roy five Lamb. days from Nick. Seven and ten, the Falcons. Seven and ten. I think they maybe win eight games. I think it probably t- is going to take ten to win the NFC South. And so, court. Yeah. So, you know, top five pick a running back. Top five pick a receiver. Top five pick a tight end. It doesn't mean they were good picks. It just means that it just means that that's that's what they were. Well, Dr- I think Drake London is good, and I think Kyle Pitts is good, but doesn't mean they were smart picks. I think Bijan Robinson is one of the f- more foolish picks I've ever seen. Well, well we talked about Bryce Young. You're going to have an opportunity in Week One, Carolina and Atlanta, to see what Bryce Young can do, and if Bryce Young is able to carve up the Atlanta Falcons, then it's it's going to be. A, a, a division loss right out the out the shoot. Yeah, it's week one, and, and it's also going to be an opportunity to say, "Well, man, we got Green Bay, and then we have Detroit." So Nick made mention to how easy the schedule was, and and it is not an extremely tough schedule. Again, that you know the NFC South is playing mostly the same teams, so like relative to why they're going to win the NFC South, an easy schedule is not great reasoning there, you know. But does it does it equate? a better record than what they had last year? Does it equate to the Atlanta Falcons being able to win that division? Because, again, you're looking at a 7-10 and 10 Falcons team. Can you flip that over to 10-7 and 7 and still be an NFC South division champion? Absolutely you can. And I think that that's what they're, they're, they possibly could do because of what their schedule is standing on. But you definitely don't want to lose a week one game to Bryce Young and the Panthers. Panthers are going to win that game. I I, I, can't, I can't doubt that. I, I think that the Panthers can 
and will probably beat the Falcons. If you ask me when we start week one of the NFL season, I'm probably going to lean toward Bryce Young. Oh, we're going to make picks every week. And, and him having an opportunity to do it. But Bryce Young already being QB1, you don't draft a quarterback overall number one and plan to sit him on the bench. Yeah, it doesn't, you, you doesn't happen don't. very often. No, I, I think mean, since Carson Palmer with, with the Bengals, since a quarterback has started not started week one after getting drafted number one. From a developmental standpoint, without question, you you definitely have to, to put Bryce in there. And I, I think that C.J. Stroud will have an opportunity with the Colts to go ahead. I mean, the Colts were 4-12. and 4-12. and 12. And when you go number one, from a quarterback standpoint, and you go get you a quarterback that early in the draft. You think he starts week one, Richardson? I, I do. Yeah, I mean, the reports on him, and again, these are OTAs, and so to grain of salt on, on all of them, but it's been pretty positive with uh, with Anthony Richardson. Also, but it's been positive with C.J. Stroud, so see, apparently, yeah, apparently all Stroud these guys is, are really is, good. It's one of those that I, I know that there's been question marks about in the same one of them will stink. The South, that's right. With the Texans being three and thirteen, and the Colts being four and twelve, what's what you look at as far as production from a quarterback? Why do you why do you draft a quarterback number one? Because is that your franchise? That's where you have to have as a franchise to be successful. Yeah. You have to have you you can't have the same type of mediocrity that you have as far as being a game manager. Is there such thing as a game managing quarterback in the NFL? Yeah. Yeah, like half half the starting quarterbacks, I think, are game managers, which I think has become kind of like an insult, like dirty word to describe quarterbacks. I don't think that's necessarily always the case. Like, like Mac Jones, for example, is like a game manager, but what a game manager is, someone who doesn't turn the ball over and is going to do what it takes to win a game. Uh, so like Jimmy Garoppolo is the definition of a game manager. Like what? It, how did he get the 49ers to a Super Bowl? Like there's a ceiling with what you can do with a game manager because they're not leading big comebacks if you put yourself in a hole. Uh, but, you know, manage the game. Don't turn the ball over. Don't screw up. Let your defense win the game. Yeah, I mean, that's uh, that's kind of... That, that's kind of the reality for a lot of quarterbacks. Kirk Cousins is a game manager. Derek Carr is a game manager. Uh, I don't think it's this horrible thing, but, you know, Pat, the Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allens of the world are not game managers. No, I mean, they're, they're franchise quarterbacks. That's why I ask you, is there such thing as a game manager in the NFL versus a franchise quarterback? Like, can you because be both? I, I don't know if you can be both because Kirk Cousins, you look at his contracts, brother, he's got franchise money yeah, in his contract. I think Kirk Cousins gets a worse rap than – and uh, you're talking to a guy who is maybe the least big fan of Kirk Cousins. I can't stand Kirk Cousins, but I do think he gets a little bit worse of a rap than he deserves. He's like just outside the top ten best quarterbacks in the league. But at the same time, he's not going to like wow you with anything he does. So, yeah, no, I, I think you can be both. I, I do think you can be both. You can win with a game manager. It's been proven. So, uh, you know, you can get to Super Bowls with a game manager. But, you know, look at the look at the five or so best quarterbacks in the league right now. Patrick Mahomes, Jalen Hurts, Joe Burrow. Eh, Burrow. Burrow is almost Burrow is like almost in that game manager category. No, you know? no, Joe. He's Joe. a little he's a little bit better, but he's got an elite cast of weapons, too. But Josh he's Allen, not a game manager. like uh, jo Josh Allen. Pretty spectacular. Justin Herbert, spectacular. Jalen Hurts, spectacular. Uh, so, you know, it, it, it's an interesting discussion. But I think you can be both. You say that you can be both in the NFL, a game manager as well as a franchise quarterback. Well, some are labeled as franchise quarterbacks. Some are labeled 
as game managers, and I don't see him being labeled as both. The final drive on WNSP 105.5, Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Friday afternoon. want to thank everyone for tuning in. Of course, you can reach us in the app, or you can give us a call at 251-694-1055. This is Richie Riley, the head men's basketball coach of South Alabama. There's nothing better than listening to WNSP Sports Radio, 105.5 FM. The final drive here on WNSP 105.5 Coming up at 4 o'clock, we'll have one of the voices of the Crimson Tide baseball program. Roger Hoover from the Crimson Tide Sports Network will be joining us live from Salem, North Carolina. And, of course, taking on Wake Forest are the Alabama Crimson Tide in the Super Regionals. So we'll see what Roger Hoover has to say. And as we talked to him a couple of weeks ago, it was a Alabama was making a, a good run in the SEC tournament, and now they have made their mark made in the Super Regionals. But last night, Women's College World Series, Oklahoma made history, defeating Florida State 3-1, to one, clinched a three-peat, and extended their Division I softball record to 53 games in a row. 53 games in a row is what they wind up winning and 61 and 1 regular season. It's just a dominant performance and when you look at three peats or three or more championships in collegiate athletics, of course, UConn wins it from 2013 to 2016 and in football, North Dakota State 2011 to 2015, and it happened in women's lacrosse in 05 to 09 Northwestern. Men's tennis, it's happened, of course, also in women's volleyball, but it's not something that you see a lot of. A three-peat is just something that's hard to do in any college, high school, professional sport to get a three-peat that's just total dominance. Yeah, yeah, three-peat is, uh, you know, it, it's in the name, man. You know, winning three championships in a row at, at any level of sport is uh, is a spectacular, unbelievable accomplishment. So really just puts into perspective, it's, you know, you got to ask yourself, what's, what's more impressive, their, their winning streak this year or their, uh, the fact that they've won three championships in a row? And, and you think about it, Mike, I mean, COVID – hits in 2020 and you take away the entire spring sports calendar and it could possibly be four in a row. That's how good they've been. But it doesn't happen a lot in Division One athletics. Just 27 teams have had the three-peat since 2000. And, of course, we're here in 2023. And I, I just – when you see the dominance of one program, regardless of the sport, it's one of those that will definitely go down in history as one of the most dominant athletic programs that you had to witness. It doesn't matter if it's a male or a female sport. Try to win one. Win one championship. Just ask Alabama or Auburn basketball how easy it is to win one national championship in that sport. 
and then you start putting together three in a row in the same sport, it, it just makes it that more special. And to have the type of record that they did, I, they just weren't going to be denied. I asked you yesterday, was Florida State going to force a game three? You said no. It's it just there's no way. They're going to continue this winning streak, and they're going to take home the national championship, and that's exactly what the Oklahoma Sooners did last night in Women's College World Series action. Roger Hoover, he will join us next to talk to see if the Crimson Tide baseball team can experience that feeling. Just two wins is all it will take for them to have an opportunity to play for it all. And you want to win that first game, we'll talk to Roger about the expectations of the Crimson Tide coming up next. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to hour number two of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this final drive Friday edition. Of course, you can reach us at 251-694-1055, or you can reach us in the app. And on the telephone lines now, we're reaching out to Roger Hoover does the play-by-play as a broadcaster and host for the Alabama Crimson Tide on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. And, of course, positioned in Winston-Salem, North Carolina, as the Crimson Tide will be taking on number one-seeded Wake Forest tomorrow at 11 a.m. And, Roger, first and foremost, welcome to the final drive. We appreciate you coming back. We talked to you during the SEC tournament, but also – that number one behind Wake Forest, it's kind of flip-flop because that number one was behind the Alabama Crimson Tide as we started the men's basketball tournament in the NCAA March Madness. <laughs> so it can be done, and Alabama is trying to make believers out of everyone. Yeah, they certainly are. And, you know, you talk about it can be done. Look at the last two years. Arkansas had a very dominant 2021. They lost at home in the Super Regional to NC State, even blew out the first game, and then the Wolfpack rallied to win the last two. And then last year it was Notre Dame winning two out of three at a very good Tennessee team, maybe the most complete college baseball team we've ever seen, had a dominant regular season. But uh, the pressure of being number one really got to the Vols in 2022 and the Razorbacks in 2021. And so with that, we're hoping that uh, history can be Repeating and certainly the Alabama team has a very good opportunity this week here in Winston-Salem to just win two ball games against the number one ranked team in the country, and then all of a sudden uh, you're going to where this program has not been in 24 years, and that's the College World Series in Omaha, Nebraska. So that's certainly the goal for this group. Uh, I'm glad we're just now at the point where we can play ball. Absolutely, and let me ask you this, Roger: Do, do you think it's easier 
to go ahead and some teams love to play with their back against the wall and they come out swinging and playing a little bit harder but how important is it for Alabama to pick up that first game game win number one instead of trying to battle out of an elimination situation well, I think it's important. Uh, you know, it's certainly a better feeling knowing that this is a super regional and that that's two out of three. You don't have to really worry about uh, loser's bracket scenario or anything like that. Yes, you lose the first game. You know, you're playing essentially an elimination game the next two days. But uh, I think this is more what Alabama is used to. Uh, it's very uh, reminiscent of all these three-game series you play in the SEC. Uh, and Alabama had a winning mark in that. And really, over the second half of the year, especially from May forward, played really good baseball in a similar situation like this even on the road against very good competition so uh, i feel like this group is really one that's set up well for this moment such a veteran team so many fifth year seniors so many guys that have their degrees and seen kind of everything the college baseball has to show them i think they're really set up for success this weekend well i know kobe shelton has really been able to hit the long ball and Pinckney has been playing some great ball as well for the Crimson Tide. Who really do you think is going to be the difference maker for Alabama? Is it going to be pitching? Is it going to be hitting? What aspect are we looking forward to out of this Tide team? You know, I feel pretty confident that the Crimson Tide will be able to score some runs this weekend, even as good as Wake Forest's pitching staff is, really best in the nation in most uh, major pitching categories. Uh, with this ballpark with really small dimensions, I feel like the Crimson Tide are going to hit home runs and do some special things offensively. The key is going to be slowing down this Wake Forest offense. That is certainly good, especially in the middle with Wilkin and Kurtz, who have combined to hit 50 home runs this season. Uh, they're a ball club that you've got to keep in the yard somehow. So uh, limiting the is certainly going to be critical from the pitching staff, but I feel like that's the group that's got to step up more than anything. It's not just on three starting pitchers that Alabama is expected to throw, but it's the bullpen. It's mineral relief. It's closing out games. You know, you get to the ninth inning with a one-run lead to protect. Hopefully, Alton Davis the second does what he's done all season long and get locked down saves for the Crimson Tide. So, uh, again, it's a very good pitching staff that Alabama is going to face, but even against some of the best staffs in the SEC, we've seen the Crimson Tide have very good games to the plate. Uh, this team is rarely shut out or rarely held to one or two runs. Uh, Alabama should score in a series like this, and uh, you just got to find a way to slow down this Wake Forest offense. Roger, last time we spoke, we talked about just how much it would mean to Alabama to host a regional for the first time since 2006. Just talk a little bit to us. We, we didn't get to attend, obviously. Talk a little bit to us about just how electric the environment was at the Joe last weekend. It was outstanding, and the favorite thing about that, Michael, was just uh, as we were getting ready for Alabama's first game against Nichols late on a Friday night, uh, you had the ballpark uh, had to be cleared in between games after the Troy-Boston College game, and then the crowd had to go out for that one and then come back in for the Alabama game. And the first area of the ballpark to get filled up was the right field Ragers, the pavilion out in right field, normally reserved for just students. Uh, tickets were open to the public there for the regional since school is no longer in session, and just the chills kind of we got seeing right field filled so quickly before the rest of the ballpark, uh, I think really set the tone for the night, and uh, this group loved playing in front of their home fans once again. Uh, you know, a sellout crowd for each and every ball game that Alabama played in, and I feel like they really set off that energy, and it made just a fun atmosphere all throughout the week. Weekend. Uh, and certainly uh, going late in the Sunday night, it's filling into Monday morning with how the Boston College game finished up. 
still a great crowd on hand, a group that did not want to leave the ballpark. He even had a chance to go on the field, celebrate a little bit with the team. Uh, that was really special to see, and uh, I think this group uh, has certainly earned that uh, with how well they played, and uh, they kind of knew that that would be the Joes' last hurrah this season uh, with Wake Forest uh, looming in the Super Regional, and uh, they're hopefully only playing baseball at two more ballparks this year, uh, Couch Ballpark here in Winston-Salem and then uh, TD Ameritrade Ballpark in Omaha. When looking at Alabama's chances against Wake, and I'm not going to ask you for a prediction because I kind of did that with the Vanderbilt game last time we spoke, and obviously that didn't go well. So we're not going to we're not going to jinx anything here. I'm not going to ask you for a prediction. But when looking at the matchup against Wake Forest, how much do you take away when you're when you're trying to figure out how Alabama, what kind of a chance Alabama has from the fact that man, like Wake Forest, just look at what they did in their regional. Like, do you see that more as, all right, like they played some inferior opponents or their bats just got really hot or, wow, they really are just that good? Well, I think it's a combination of all that. I mean, first of all, they really are just that good. Uh, we were just talking with head coach Jason Jackson, and he was very uh, complimentary of how good Wake Forest has been, how they would be near the top of the league in the SEC. Uh, so don't think that just because they were able to pick up so many wins that that had a lot to do with the ACC or uh, anything like that. I mean, this is a very, very good team that would compete at the highest level of SEC baseball. But, again, Alabama's used to that. Uh, Alabama's played so well this season against uh, Florida when the Gators are ranked number one, uh, played really well at LSU, even though that series ended up in a sweep for the Tigers. Alabama was in every single one of those games and uh, did better offensively against LSU pitching than really any SEC team did throughout the season, even in some series the Tigers lost. So, you know, those things give you a little bit of confidence. Uh, I fully expect this to be a very competitive series. I think uh, this will probably be a three-game series. I'd be stunned if either team swept, to be honest with you. So I think we're going to see two evenly matched teams, and it's going to come down to executing really four or five pitches over the weekend. That is going to determine who gets to go after this to Omaha. Roger Hoover with us here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5, of course being one of the play-by-play broadcasters and host for the Alabama Crimson Tide on the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Coach Jackson just has to really be living his own dream because I know when he began this season, he could not in a nightmare imagine that he would have been the interim head coach for this Crimson Tide team. How special and and how, I guess, when you look at the big picture of when Coach Jackson walks away from baseball, how memorable will this be for him? Well, I think it's a dream season in a lot of ways with how uh, things have happened really from May on. You know, Coach has been always well-respected uh, around Alabama for the last uh, six years. The great job he's done as pitching coach for the Crimson Tide. And when you think about the job he's got to do, he's got to take high school pitchers who have had probably nothing but success in their life to uh, help them adjust uh, in the fall when they're facing their teammates and getting uh, ripped to pieces on the mound. Uh, he got to be able to have a special calm demeanor to help uh, youngsters make that transition and then helping them become good SEC pitchers and eventually uh, MLB prospects. And he's done that uh, extremely well all throughout his time. But he's kind of taken that approach uh, to leading the entire team. And he's just kind of let the players be themselves. You know, uh, a lot of people at the press conference earlier today were asking, you know, what's the secret of your success? And he just pointed to the two players on either side of him, uh, Tommy Seidel and Jim Jarvis. It's kind of their veteran leadership that has made all the difference for a year like this. And, uh, you know, coming into the season, we knew this would be a veteran 
ball club. We knew that usually helps you have a deeper run in the postseason and uh, with even a lot of trials and tribulations that uh, this group has performed at its highest level when Alabama needs them to. Roger, will the boot cam be in full effect <laughs> for the Wake Forest game? Because as one of our users in the apps, Jared Bates, says here on our app on WNSP, he said your reaction, your live reaction <laughs> to the error by Troy was everyone's at home who was watching the game. And will it, will, will it be set up and, and we'll be able to see some more reactions from you guys? Uh, we won't have it streaming live like we were able to in Tuscaloosa because we are able to have our full staff uh, for a home game. So uh, we only get to travel, Chris and I, for the road. So uh, we're kind of focused on the radio end of things. But I will tell you, we will be recording some of our reactions to some big moments over the weekend. So uh, if there are any uh, dramatic, you know, go-ahead home runs, any stunning plays like that late, or certainly if there's a super regional clinching call that sends us to Omaha, don't worry. We're going to have that for you. Uh, we'll have all the reactions on the Crimson Tide Sports Network uh, social media channels now when you go back and you watch yourself and the reactions do you really <laughs> surprise yourself because you know players break down film coaches break down film do you break down your game day reactions and and your partner chris stewart's great calls yeah, not really, to be honest with you. you know, sometimes, you, usually when we're shown, uh, you know, it's one of us making the call. It's not usually somebody else reacting. So I didn't even think about it when the moment happened. I was just so stunned with the way it happened. You know, Chris called it perfectly. And, uh, you know, earlier in the game, I had a big home run call that uh, the Andrew Pinkney one that we sent out as well. So I, I didn't even think about it until I saw it a few minutes later and all of a sudden uh, it becomes trending on Twitter and all that stuff. Uh, it's a fun viral moment. You know, those are the things you want to go viral. Well, there's a lot of things in this business you don't want to go viral for, so I'll certainly take it. Well, Roger, also Montana Fouts. I think she'll go down as one of the greatest athletes, male or female, in the history of Alabama athletics and her getting 100 wins during her softball career there. I know that she gave all she had for the Crimson and White. She certainly did. I think she is uh, one of the players that really has even elevated Alabama softball to a new level. And yes, this is a program that's been winning SEC championships for over 20 years and making trips to the Women's College World Series, won the national championship 11 years ago. But for what Montana Fouts is able to do now, especially in today's social media age of growing the awareness for women's softball and inspiring the next generation of players, I mean, it's going to be fascinating to see uh, where we are in 10 or 15 years, how many players are trying to wear the number 14 at the University of Alabama or maybe pitching at other schools wearing 14 and uh, mimicking her pitching style uh, the exact same way. I mean, she transcended Alabama at times. I think she certainly was the face of this sport uh, over the last few years, and uh, you couldn't ask for a better ambassador for Alabama. We've kind of run into that with a few student athletes over the last few years. Uh, you could go immediately to Herbert Jones in basketball, uh, Bryce Young at Tua Tungvaloa in football, and Montana certainly at for softball. Uh, certainly a great career and one we're all very proud of. The Crimson Tide 43-19 and 19, will be taking on the number one ranked Wake Forest Demon Deacons tomorrow morning at 11 o'clock a.m. and I know everyone will be locked and loaded to hear you and Chris Stewart's call and a lot of excitement around Alabama baseball and as you get ready to conclude this series and hopefully in Omaha that just means when the Crimson Tide, when they make that trip to Omaha, we'll just be oh so closer to Crimson Tide football getting ready to start up as well. 
Yeah, we certainly are. We're going to take a deep breath after the World Series, uh, but we'll certainly be ready for uh, media days and Nashville coming up in mid-July. And then, yeah, the football camp will start uh, less than two weeks after that. So uh, it's certainly a good time. Uh, the calendar doesn't take much of a break, and that's okay. It's a good thing to have when Alabama's playing as well. Absolutely, Roger. We look forward to seeing you at the SEC Media Days next month. And, again, how can everyone follow all of your outstanding coverage of the Crimson Tide? Yeah, thank you for asking. Uh, the Crimson Tide Sports Network on social media is the place to go. Uh, we're very active on Facebook, uh, Twitter, as well as Instagram, at UA underscore CTSN. That's where you get the boot cam footage, plus a lot of the behind-the-scenes uh, stuff we're able to do. And then you can follow me uh, at Roger underscore Hoover. That's a lot of content on uh, Twitter, Instagram, and even my TikTok, uh, Roger.Hoover on TikTok. So uh, we're trying to hit all the boxes, uh, Corey and Michael, uh, trying to make sure we connect as many people as we can to the Crimson Tide. Absolutely. Roger, thank you so very much for taking time out of your schedule to join us here on the final drive. Roll Tide, roll, and we'll talk to you soon. Thank you so much, guys. Roll Tide. Roger Hoover joining us this afternoon on the final drive. And don't want to miss a special 430 interview coming up. A former Crimson Tide legend, Jeremiah Castile will be joining us at 4.30 here on the final drive. You don't want to miss what he has to say at 4.30 here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Hey, this is former Mobile TV sportscaster Eric Clemens, and when I'm in town, I listen to 105.5 FM Sports Radio, WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with Michael Brauner, joining you this afternoon. And want to thank everyone for tuning in. And, of course, thank Roger Hoover from the Crimson Tide Sports Network. He'll be on the call tomorrow with his partner, Chris Stewart, as the Alabama Crimson Tide take on Wake Forest and Winston-Salem North Carolina. And, of course, tonight, game four of the NBA Finals, Denver and Miami. Denver took care of business in game number three, and you had a couple of players with triple doubles. The first time you've had 30-point triple doubles in the same game in the history of the National Basketball Association, 30-point triple doubles, that is. That's something that... I don't think you'll see tonight because if you see Murray <laughs> scoring 34 and Joker scoring 32, you can automatically say the mm. Miami Heat better offset that with Bam having 30 and Butler having 30 as well. But tonight I, I did say that yeah. game number three's winner. You would see the opposite in game number four. It wasn't going to let you weasel out of no, that. If, I'm, uh, I'm definitely going to go with the Miami Heat tonight. And I think they're going to have an opportunity to tie this series up because, of course, everyone that wants to see more basketball you need for the Miami Heat to win this game or they're in desperate trouble. They go down three games to one and that series goes back to Denver. You're, you're in all kind of trouble. I'll give you my prediction in a second. I want to know, uh, you know, since we just talked to Roger, how do you how do you feel legitimately take all bias out of it? How do you feel about Bama's chances this weekend? I think it'll go three games. Yeah. 
I, I don't think they I think it'll go three games too. I just think it'll go three games. Yeah, I don't know, man. They're they're st- Wake is so damn good. Yeah, I mean Wake, it's Wake's be good, tough. man. They can't take anything away it's from. It's crazy them. how good they are. I mean, just like just like the Denver Nuggets are good. I mean, yeah. you can't take anything away from how good Denver has been this season. Now you can you can try to take away one of them, but I, what you saw in game two was Joker goes for forty one, right? Three. Oh, and two. Uh, you're yeah, saying two. He goes yeah, for forty one, yeah. but but they Didn't still matter. take that L. So you know, Joker said it yesterday and the day before that. He doesn't care about stats. That that he could care less about that situation. And and if you're the NBA in the NBA Finals, you go from Friday's game tonight to to Monday. And if you have another game, it stretches out until Thursday. So mm-hmm. the scheduling's a little bit different for the NBA Finals. So it's Mon- game five will be on Monday. You said? Yeah, Monday okay. is what you and normally then Thursday could, because you normally Golly. you would think you would normally go Friday Sunday, right? Mm. But for whatever reason, you've got Friday Monday eh, in game five. Well, unfortunately, there's not going to be a game on Thursday. Well, we'll, we'll see. How, how that transpires there because you heard what I said. Yeah. That means Denver's gonna win tonight. Well, I, I, and on Monday, Game Seven. I'll tell you what. I mean, let's say this. I mean, I'm sure you'd agree with this. If Denver wins tonight, series is over. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So you you, you go back to Denver down three one. It's and, over. And, and you're in call, the world of hurt. Call a wrap. I I think that the Heat, you know, will have fought, will have fought, will have fought, but tonight. It, they just need to take care of what they need to do on their home floor. And it, it, from a numbers standpoint. Biggest game of the season for them tonight. They can't be out-rebounded 25, Michael Brown. <laughs> you, you can't get out-rebounded 25 and expect to win, especially on your own home floor. Because defense travels. And I think, what do I mean by defense travels? You, you, you always can stand up and defend. Whether it's your zone principles that they've had a lot of success. And your Joker's going to get his. I mean, he is – let me ask you this. Is Joker, when it's all said and done, it, he wins – let's say he wins this NBA World Championship. Mm-hmm. There's been some outstanding centers in the history of the NBA. Oh, boy, where are you going with this one? Is is he considered – I'm not even going to say Mount Rushmore because – is you know he hasn't he hasn't that's a long that's a long list he yeah. hasn't he hasn't played enough basketball to be on a, a Mount Rushmore. So what are you asking me then? Will he be considered one of the top ten centers of all time uh. if he's able to win this NBA championship? Able to go ahead and dominate the entire postseason in scoring, rebounding, and assist. Lead the league in all of those categories. Top 10, yeah, probably. And he's like on his way to the Mount Rushmore. Again, this is not a guy that's been in the league all that long. What, seven years? So, again, I would say he's already on his way uh, to that point. And I I think, one, I'm pretty much foregone. uh, I'm signed off on the conclusion that the Nuggets are going to win this series. So I think, uh, yes, I I think he's going to win multiple rings. I think he's going to win more MVPs. So I I, I do think he's on his way to making that happen. And I do think when it's all said and done, like a decade from now, like we'll see how his body holds up. You know, you never know with these big guys and stuff. But, uh, yeah, I think we're going to be talking about him in that Elijah Wan 
category like that. I I, I really do. He, he is that special, man. And there's no one like him. I mean, like, yeah, yeah, he's a say. You got to compare him to other centers, but, you know, in terms of how he plays the game, what he's able to do. Will. Kareem, I, I mean, it's unlike Shaq, any of them. And again, Bill like, Russell, again, as great as Kareem and Shaq and Wilt and Olajuwon and Trey, they all were. <laughs> They're, again, I would put all of them firmly ahead of Jokic right now. I'm not saying that. But Jokic can do a lot more than uh, than the rest of them can just in terms of how well-rounded his game is. His, so, his yeah, versatility. He's on the way, man. His versatility is, is second to none. He's what, on the way. He's able and how he's able to do it at, at seven foot four. I think that that's what's so very impressive about his game. Now, I mean, when you look at the stat line, he dominates the stat line, yeah. right? But but you don't really see him and, and think of him visually as dominating the game. You just, at the end of the day, you look you, when you're looking at the box score, you get up on the podium like, damn. That's a that, that's pretty that's pretty impressive. You that's know, how it is, that man. Many, that that's that's how he sneaks up on you, He's and that's awesome. what the Joker's been able to do yeah. throughout his entire career. He kind of sneaks up on you. So as far as being a top ten center, I think that he's, he's getting there, trying to break the top ten. But the Denver Nuggets, they win tonight, and they're going to make the Miami Heat want to come back to Miami one way or the other. It's either going to be to continue to play basketball or it's going to be just to come back and pack up your bags and call it a season and go fishing. Special guest coming up next here on the final drive on WNSP 105.5, former University of Alabama great Jeremiah Castile joins us here on WNSP 105.5. Hi, this is Mark Malone, former NFL quarterback. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey Labounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you on this fantastic Friday afternoon. And want to thank Pastor Joe Johnson for assisting in our next guest, who will be at the men's conference at Mount Hebron speaking. And that's going to be former University of Alabama great Jeremiah Castile. Good afternoon, Mr. Castile. How are you doing? We are, we are well this evening. Good evening and roll tide. <laughs> Absolutely. Roll tide, roll. It's always a pleasure to get an opportunity to talk to someone who played with the great Bear Bryant and was coached by the great Bear Bryant and put on that crimson and white. And talk to us a little bit about the men's conference that you'll be speaking at this eve or speaking at with Mount Hebron. Well, Pastor Johnson invited us, and it's really a, I call it a equipping and encouragement conference for all ages of men from 10 to 80, you know, uh, and we're just living in a time where men need to be encouraged. And when we can get our young men uh, on the right track, equipped with uh, just the truths of life, the bright principles to live life by, then we are uh, we're, we're benefiting them. And uh, so that's what we're going to be doing some of tonight. And for some of us that's been in the, uh, I call it the game of life a little longer, maybe uh, second half of life, uh, they can come out and, get encouraged also just to get a game plan to finish life. 
And, and that's the most important part about finishing life. And, you know, I know that you have your Jeremiah Castile Foundation, and, and you're not only a speaker, a teacher, a coach, an author, you've had an opportunity to make a difference in so many lives the same way that your former head coach at the University of Alabama did, Paul Bear Bryant. Talk about what it meant to play for Coach Bryant and the type of influence that he's had not only in the first half of your life, but here leading up in the second half of your life as well. Well, there's probably not a day goes by where I don't actually have a thought about Coach Bryant or I'm saying something verbally that he is, he said uh, during those days at the University of Alabama in the uh, late 70s, early 80s for me. In fact, just sitting here, as you were saying that, I thought about he had, he would tell us, he'd say, uh, you know, he had a real southern drawl, and he'd say, men, there's two kind of people in the world, givers and takers. Make sure you're a giver. <laughs> so I, uh, I credit he and my mother for uh, the influence of me being in ministry today, for uh, the forming of our foundation, for just uh, giving me a heart to want to give back to our fellow man. And I know not only giving back to your fellow man, it, it's something that when you look at that last game in the Liberty Bowl, one in which you guys were able to defeat Illinois and hoist Coach Bryant up, when you see that moment captured in photos, because it was at my uncle's house on the wall, and when you know <laughs> what, what it meant, knowing in that moment is captured forever in all of Alabama's hearts, and knowing what it meant to Coach Bryant and that being his final game and his final ride, not knowing what was yet to come, how important looking back at that is that to you, and what does it mean to you? Um, I, I am still in awe of uh, that God would have picked me or chosen me to be a part of the, uh, to be an instrument in Coach Bryant's final game, his last victory. Um, tremendous uh, honor for me. Uh, tell you what, would, what was probably a higher honor was being Paul Bearer, but i come back to that. But, you know, the, I like to tell this story real quick of uh, right before going out to play in the game, right before captains were to walk out, I just got this strong prompting in my stomach, in my gut, to get up and say something to the team. And I wasn't known to be a verbal guy at that, that time in my life. And this strong prompting is like, man, if I don't get up and say something, I'm going to throw up. And so I raised my hand up real quick and I said, Coach, can I say something? Nothing scripted, and it just started coming out. And I told him, I said, Coach, I just want to thank you. That's the first thing I said, Coach, thank you for everything that you've done for me. I said, I came here as an 18-year-old boy, but I'm going to leave here as a 21-year-old man tonight. And I said, Coach, ain't no way we're going to lose this game tonight. I said, I got to play it by myself. <laughs> and, man, it just it lit a fire up under our team. And, uh, you know, if you go and watch that game, uh, it was a great game. And uh, the defense came up with, like, six turnovers. So I, I'm just uh, – I'm proud of that moment in my life, in a ch chapter in my life that uh, 
I had a chance to be a part of the, I would say, the greatest college football coach to, uh, in that era, he coached to be the, you know, the greatest college football coach, and I had a chance to, I played a part in that. Jeremiah Castile, our guest on the final drive this afternoon, former Alabama player under Coach Bear Bryant. Huge thanks to Pastor Joe over at Mount Hebron for setting this up for us. But Jeremiah, I want to ask you like more another another Bear Bryant question. I mean, you you played at Alabama under uh, obviously towards the end of the career of really someone who's considered to be the greatest college football coach of all time. Just how much pride do you take in the fact that you you for the rest of your life are able to say, yeah, I played at Alabama under Bear Bryant. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Michael, I take pride in, in the fact, let me tell you what I take pride in. I take pride in the fact of the lessons that I learned from a great coach, a great person, I really emphasize person, that just happened to be a coach, and what those lessons have me doing today to me that's what you know when I think about Coach Brian him being in heaven looking down at my life that he smiles because I am still walking in those principles today I'm going to be at Mount Hebron this evening giving back to my fellow man so that's the pride if there's a sense of pride that is it right there well, I tell you, that's a lot of pride in regards to giving back and just taking those lessons that many people have had because we always remember our favorite teacher or our favorite coach growing up throughout our lives. And, of course, you being a college football All-American in 1982, being a part of that Crimson Tide team, having a chance to play in the NFL, you have sons, and when they grow up, they, some of them decided that they wanted to go the football route, and you had a couple of them that went on to play for Alabama as well. And then you had a son who decided to go ahead and take the acting route and was one of played one of the teammates uh, at Alabama, Tony Nathan, in the movie Woodlawn. Tell us about your children and how awesome it is, the fact that they decided to follow not only in football but in fellowship as well after their football career. Well, I tell you, I I, uh, I didn't really twist my son. All three of my sons played at Alabama. Most people know uh, Tim and Simeon as the ones that really stood out. They started. Both of them were starters. Tim was a starter as a true freshman. Was one of maybe I think only four guys ever did that as true freshmen started the first game there. And so uh, I didn't really. With their arms, I'll tell you, one day we were talking, and I, I said, hey, guys, you know, you all decide. Cause if you go back and check the records at that time, you know, we were kind of mediocre in those uh, early 2000s. We just had a mediocre season. Team wasn't a great team. Wasn't like what it is today with, you know, 16 years on Coach Saban. Anyway, I said, guys, what made you guys decide to come to Alabama? And <laughs> so they kind of laughed a little bit. They said, Dad. All those Coach Bryant stories you told them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. They remembered the Coach Bryant stories from when they were boys. You know, young boys. 
five, six, seven. I've just told them all the Coach Bryant stories, and man, it built it. It made them Alabama fans. Sure, and, and I understand it, and I would be too if my dad was telling me not that there's any pressure, but just wanted to be a part of that culture. And I think that Mr. Castillo, when when what you instilled in them was a sense of pride in the university that you attended and what it meant to you, and that rubbed off on your sons. It sure did. I, I, let me tell you just a funny story. So, Simeon's a senior. Simeon's one of the most, you know, he's a he's a five-star, four five-star guy, defensive back coming out in, in the early 2000s, like 2003, 2004. Coach Saban is the coach at LSU. He and Jimbo Fisher come to our house to visit Simeon. So they come and visit. I mean, they do a Coach Saban does a great job of, of he just he covers everything. He's thorough. And uh, so that afternoon, Simeon, and I, he, he and I decided he was going to go train and do a little workout. And I was going to go there with him. And he was stretching right before we get ready to, to work out. I said, Dad. I've uh, decided on where I'm going to go to school. <laughs> and now uh, I got the biggest knot in my throat <laughs> that moment because Coach Saban had just left the house, and he's telling me, you know, how he decided he's going to go to school. And I'm just like, man, I don't know if I want to hear this. And um, so I said, okay, where, where, where are you going to go? And he says, Alab- I'm going to Alabama to play with my brother. sure not only for yourself but those who you continue to reach out to within the ministry and your jeremiah castile foundation along with the men that you're speaking to tonight at the men's conference at mount hebron and i just know that that god had that purpose for you and you're paying that purpose forward not only to your sons but to all of those who have an opportunity in life who have hidden uh, or, or fallen on hard times or have found a way to, to bounce back up to, to, like you said, prepare for the second half of life for so many young men and older men as well. But but what you've been doing is truly a godsend. And Pastor Joe, uh, the outstanding man that he is, can't thank him enough for allowing you to become part of the final drive here on WNSP this afternoon and look forward to hearing what you have to say to those men tonight. And Mr. Castile, it's always a pleasure to be able to talk with you and to see and to hear you reminisce about your times at Alabama and the Liberty Bowl and even being Bear Bryant's pallbearer. I know that that will always be one of those monumental moments in your life to go outside of your tremendous playing career. But can't thank you enough and want to say God bless to you, my brother. Thank you, sir. Have enjoyed the talk. God bless. Jeremiah Castile joining us 
this afternoon on the final drive. And, you know, it doesn't get any better than that from man, that was great. being humble, from just having from Coach Bryant's mouth to knowing that it, it was received in his ears and his heart. And he's paying it forward what Coach Bryant is giving. And he's being a giver and not a taker in life. Jeremiah Castile, former Alabama All-American, joining us this afternoon on the final drive. We'll be right back. Hi, this is Bill Hancock, Executive Director of the College Football Playoff, and you are listening to WNSP 105.5 in Mobile. Drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty along with my producer Michael Bronner and can't thank Pastor Joe Johnson enough for setting up that great and fantastic interview with the legendary Jeremiah Castile, who's definitely a giver and not a taker. And when you look at this job that I'm I'm blessed to do every single day, I know that in the morning times, Mark and Lee weekly have an opportunity to talk of the voice to the voice of the crimson tide eli gold and the great news that eli gold had and delivered on the opening kickoff about he is free and clear of cancer and every week that he's been on you can just hear his voice get stronger and stronger and stronger it's something that i know chris stewart is passionate about Alabama football too. But this fall, Lord willing, when Eli's back behind that mic, Chris will proudly and happily pass it back over to Eli and say, hey, buddy, I was just keeping the seat warm for you. No doubt. Absolutely, man. Couldn't couldn't be happier to uh to read that update and hear that update this morning from from Eli on uh, on the opening kickoff and uh you know prayers to continue good health for him and uh hopefully hopefully we will hear him you know on uh calling Alabama games this fall. Well, you know, when when you sat and knew that he was having health issues, you you, you were worried that it was the worst. And one thing about the broadcasting profession, you know, Andy Burcham and the rest of the broadcasters, Andy Burcham being the voice of the Auburn Tigers, they they really stick together and yeah. they encourage one another. And and you know, even though the fans may have a heated rivalry, there's definitely no rivalry between fellow broadcasters, especially when something bad does happen. Yeah, and it's something that that you just you, you love to see. The fact that Eli Go hopefully will be back on September second when Alabama kicks off against middle tennessee yeah no it was the the outpouring of support and love that eli got you know it's uh for a guy that that deserves it more than anyone man it it was uh it was a beautiful thing to see no doubt about it well i I know that in the past you know you've had quarterbacks that eli gold has had an opportunity to cover and i know that the manning passing academy is a week and a half away and if you had to just kind of visualize and think forward to some of the the collegiate quarterbacks that you would think would be attending the Madison, the the Manning pa- Passing Academy, who who would you say that would be? Hmm. 
you have a tendency to to frame these questions of guessing that I've already seen the list. So, no, I mean, <laughs> but, but I mean, even though you've seen the list, yeah, th- it doesn't mean that you agree with some of the names that are on there. Well, I mean, I I, I guess it is a prestigious thing to go. Th- so I know yours and uh, and Arch are gonna be there, uh, which is I, that's honestly off the top of my head, that's all I can remember. So why don't you go you go ahead and but inform I mean, me of some Bradley more names from South Alabama is one that you really are happy to see him have sure. an opportunity to, to make his mark there for sure. Yeah. Will Rogers is another one. Nice. I know on the Senior Bowl watch list that you want to have an opportunity to see. Garrett Nussmeyer at LSU, you know, he could spin it. And I will say this, you start seeing the QB Country Twitter feed and you start seeing NFL players that are here in Mobile practicing here at QB Country, you see Daniel Jones arriving, at practicing with David Morris. Then you see some quarterback by the name of Arch Manning be here in Mobile practicing. You you start seeing a lot of these that are going to be attending. The Riley Leonard is another one. Yeah, uh, that that is very well deserving right here in our own backyard. Drake May from North Carolina is another one. Michael Penix Jr. from Washington. That's one that you don't hear a lot of because he's on the on the West Coast. Hey, he's a great player. He was good at Indiana and then went to Washington and became a great player, man. He's uh so I hope I think that's a guy we're certainly going to see at the Senior Bowl ne- uh, you know, next year. Uh I'd be shocked if we didn't, frankly. He's a guy, you know, he's a, a lot of people say he's a dark horse for the Heisman. I don't know if I'd go that far, but Penix is a good player. We'll uh we'll, we'll see uh we'll see what kind of season he has this year. Shadur Sanders, Colorado Buffaloes. Does that name sound familiar? Yes, it does. Yes, it Who's does. Who's his dad? I know his dad's Deion Sanders. Okay. Well, just just so you know, and I know Deion's back in the news too, and having a rebuttal because you know Deion, he doesn't he doesn't tame his tongue. No, he quite does. Often. No, he does not. He, he he doesn't hold back. But when Deion speaks, you know people listen, whether you like it or you don't, whether you like him or you don't. He definitely moves the needle in college football for sure. The final drive. Corey LeBounty and Michael Bronner, the 5 o'clock hour, will be coming at you next. From Mobile, Sports Radio 105.5 WNSP presents 99 yards away. Win this game for one another. The final drive with Corey Labounty and Michael Bronner. Do your job and play together. The final drive, live on 105.5 FM and streaming on the Sound of Mobile app. I cannot believe it. Welcome to our number three of the final drive here on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Bronner, joining you this Friday evening. And want to welcome in our next guest here to the final drive, host of a national sports show, Crane and Company. Jake Crane joins us this evening. Jake, hope all is well. How are you doing this evening? 
Man, I'm, I'm doing well. Great to join you guys. And uh, nothing like uh, talking a little sports on a Friday evening. Absolutely. It never gets old when you have an opportunity to talk sports. And the first sport we want to talk to you about, of course, is with the Auburn Tigers and the fact what Hugh Freeze and the excitement and the energy that he's bringing to this program. Michael Braun and I yesterday did the Tide and Tiger report and Vegas says six and a half on Auburn's schedule for wins and losses. I think that if Hugh Freeze is able to find seven wins this season, I think it will be equivalent to what Nick Saban was able to do at seven and six as his first year at Alabama. Yeah, you know, I, I, you know, you never, it's tough to compare anybody to Nick Saban. Now, I wonder what Nick would have done with the transfer portal the way it is nowadays, being able to flip a program in a year. But, uh, I mean, if you look at what he's done to this Auburn roster, because, you know, it's amazing what happens when you have a head coach that wants to recruit and doesn't just want to talk about accountability and lift weights. It's amazing how much that helps. But bringing in some legitimate offensive linemen in an area where Auburn struggled, even going back to Gus Malzahn's last two seasons, to be able to not only have you know, five guys that are talented, but cultivate talent, uh, you know, not only from the transfer portal, but from the high school level. You've seen some of the commitments they've gotten, obviously getting Peyton Thorne at quarterback, a guy with experience, the unteachable, intangible, and having some weapons out wide uh, that Auburn had to have. The biggest question is going to be the pass rush. Uh, this game's won and lost up front. It'll always be that way. I don't care if you run the triple option or the air raid, uh, and he's kind of flipped the script there with, you know, the pass rush being the biggest question mark. But, yeah, I mean, I see eight. Uh, I think with this schedule, I, I think Auburn could legitimately have eight wins. They're going to have to catch a break. We all know it's a battle of attrition, but it seems like Hugh Freeze finally has Auburn football with some positive momentum after a couple years of almost being in the dark ages. Jake, I'll, I'll preface everything I'm about to say with the fact that I am a believer in, in Hugh Freeze and the fact that I do think he's going to be successful at Auburn. I don't know where you fell on the great Gus Malzahn debate before he, you know, for really the last two or three years of his time at Auburn, you know, is winning, winning eight or nine games and sometimes beating Alabama enough. But it feels like, like is Hugh Freeze kind of not the same? Like, it feels like after all this, after all the Brian Harson era, you kind of bring in a guy who that's about what he's done, at least in his time in the SEC. No. Um, well, you know, I, I think when you're comparing being at a place like Ole Miss, and no disrespect to Ole Miss, but I think it's easier to win at Auburn with, with the resources and the tradition that Auburn has compared to Ole Miss. I think what happened to Gus Malzahn is, I mean, he stopped evolving. Uh, you look at the recruiting up front. I mean, they didn't sign a high school offensive tackle for two straight years. How does that happen uh, at Auburn? So uh, Hugh Freeze continues to evolve. Gus Malzahn wrote a book about the hurry up, no huddle. Basically, you know, with a couple other guys, invented it and then got slower every year after that. And a lot of it was just trajectory. I mean, you look at the, where Auburn was, uh, you know, looking at what Nick Saban was doing, and then all of a sudden Kirby Smart, your two biggest rivals, are starting to starting to take off and get a grip on it. Uh, I think what Hugh Freeze brings you is a little bit uh, more diversification from that front. I'm interested to see how it goes with Phil Montgomery as the OC. I think it's going to be a lot of uh, Hugh Freeze run game, RPO action, and then Phil Montgomery from a pass combination standpoint, you know, formationally, getting a lot of formation in the boundary and things like that. But uh, I do think Hugh Freeze is a better recruiter as a head coach. Gus Malzahn knew how important recruiting was, but he wasn't the best guy in the room to go out there and try and get kids. I think Hugh's better in, in that way. Uh, so there, while there are some similarities, I think there are some differences. We're speaking with Jake Crane, host of the National Sports Show, Crane and & Company. And, Jake, 
they had to find a quarterback. And, and I think the fact that they go get a quarterback who's played in some big-time environments is going to find yeah. a way to benefit them. Now, of course, it doesn't matter. I said this yesterday. Who you have at quarterback, Jason Campbell said it, he could be back there. Johnny Menzel could be back there. If you don't have a good O-line in front of him to keep you yep. upright, it's not going to matter. But the fact that they did go find an experienced quarterback who's used to playing in big games, I think this is definitely a start in the right direction. Yeah, well, you know, kind of kind of to your second point, I think the offensive lines where Auburn's made the biggest jump, you know, bringing in the guys they have, proven guys uh, that, that aren't going to be, you know, afraid of the moment. They understand what they're going up against. They understand how to get their body prepared. A lot goes into that. But the quarterback position, yeah, I think the best thing it gave you was true competition. I mean, I don't think Robbie Ashford uh, is a slouch by any means. If he just throws it well enough, uh, he's an elite runner. He's a guy that can hit the home run from 80 yards out which puts a ton of pressure on the defense, but you always want to create competition, right? We hear all the old cliches that coaches throw out, iron sharpens iron, you know, this, that, and the other. You're going to have true competition. I think Robbie, if he doesn't win the job, uh, which I don't think he will, they're still going to have red zone plays for him, packages for him to get him involved. But, yeah, look, I mean, Peyton Thorne, I think he's going to be confident behind this offensive line. I think the run game is going to be good enough. You look at Jarquez Hunter. Uh, you look at Jamari Alston, some of the guys on Auburn's roster that can be effective. The tight end room's pretty good. So, yeah, you always want to sit behind an experienced offensive line and an offensive line that can protect you. It's not just about the run game. But the thing I like about Thorne is he does have experience. You can't teach that. You know he's not going to be phased by big environments or playing in big games, but he's not afraid to throw the check down. You know, you never go broke making a profit. What makes some of the great quarterbacks great? Well, typically quarterbacks and offensive coordinators are the greediest people on the planet. They may throw it short a couple times, but eventually they've got to pull the trigger. Uh, I think Peyton Thorne's kind of in a different mold. If you're going to give him the check down, if you're going to give him the hitch, if you're going to give him the slant, he's not afraid to nickel and dime you down the field, and sometimes you have to do that. So all in all, the roster's been upgraded at very important positions. And, you know, we always talk about skill positions, right? Oh, they got this receiver. They got this running back. They got this quarterback. It all starts and ends up front. If a football team was a car, then the offensive line and the defensive line would be the engine. And I feel like Auburn's in the best spot they've been up front, at least offensively, in a while. Jake, looking at the SEC as a whole, and I'll, I'll get to an Alabama question in a second, but there, is there a team you could potentially see as – I hesitate to say this year's Tennessee because I don't think there's a team that's going to like break out completely like that and, and, and beat Alabama, the Alabamas of the world. But is there a team you see as kind of a dark horse that maybe not a lot of people are talking about right now? Well, you know, I think Mississippi State's interesting. You know, everybody talks about the, the few returning quarterbacks. You look at Spencer Rattler. Uh, you got K.J. Jefferson down there at Arkansas. But Will Rogers is a guy that's going to be in a system uh, that's not going to ask him to throw it 55 times a game. Rest in peace to Mike Leach, who's one of the greats. We loved having him on all the time. But it's going to be a little bit of a different flavor with Zach Arnett taking over, who i got a lot of respect for. He's a young guy, but I do think he's ready. I thought he handled it really well last year. Uh, I know they lost Ra Ra Thomas to Georgia. But nobody's talking about him. That's exactly what Zach wants. You have an experienced quarterback. Interested to see how they are up front. I think they're going to be fine at the skill position. Now, are they going to break out and be a Tennessee and, and do what they did last year, especially before Hendon went down? That's going to be tough. I don't know if there's, there's a team that's going to do that. South Carolina, I think, might be a candidate, but I just don't trust them up front right now on either side of the ball. You know, they lost Nichols, their left tackle, uh, during spring practice, which is just devastating um, for any team, let alone South Carolina, who, while Shane's done a really good job recruiting there, he hadn't been able to build up the tight depth to be able to absorb that blow yet. So uh, just from an under-the-radar standpoint, I think Mississippi State and South Carolina are going to be interesting to watch. And how do you see 
Alabama, and, and again, I, I'm coming at this from an Alabama lens, so, you know, bias grain of salt there, and you're going to come at the answer from an Auburn lens, so maybe we can meet somewhere in the middle, but, yeah. I mean, for, from my eyes, obviously, like, you lose Bryce Young and Will Anderson, who are the two best players in college football, but, in my opinion, Alabama's roster upgrades everyone else. I mean, if everywhere else, if you can get at least okay quarterback position out of whoever ultimately wins the job, Alabama should be, you know, Alabama, at, at, by, at least. Yeah, well, look, man, I, I I was in the business for nine and a half years. I, I coached at six years at the D1 level. I grew up an Auburn fan. You know, my dad played there. They haven't sent me a check yet. You know, we I call it like I see it. Uh, I predicted, predicted Alabama to win the whole thing last year. Um, I, I will say this, though. Uh, looking at Alabama, from a personnel standpoint, I mean, they're going to be as talented as anybody they play. But what Nick Saban, what, one of the many things that makes Nick Saban great is his roster management. We don't talk about it enough in college football. It's all we talk about in the NFL because there's no recruiting. But we don't talk about it enough in college football. And he's done a really good job at Alabama and really everywhere he's been of not losing too much at two like, symbiotic spots, right? Like when's the last time that Alabama was replacing a quarterback and a left tackle in the same year? You, you can't remember. It really doesn't happen. Now, you throw in the quarterback room they have. We've seen Milrow a little bit. I don't think people give him enough credit. Is he the greatest thrower of the ball? No, but he's so dynamic running the ball. It's kind of like I mentioned with Ashford. You just got to throw it well enough. But bringing in, bringing in uh, Tommy Reese is one thing, but bringing in Tyler Buckner to me, the warning signals kind of went up a little bit because Tommy recruited Tyler. He coached Tyler. And after seeing Ty and Jalen, you don't bring Tyler Buckner in to sit the bench or just because you're friends. He legitimately thinks he may have a chance to win the job. And from a throwing development standpoint, at least from what we saw last year, Tyler's nowhere near ready to be able to be effective against some of the teams that he has to be uh, to beat for Alabama to get where they need to go. So uh, we talked about this on the show. I think Alabama's kind of in a point right now where uh, I don't think nine and three is a crazy prediction when you look at it. Now, again, they can run the table. They're talented enough where if they flip the switch and they figure it out, they can beat anybody they play against. But this year, I think, is one of the most interesting years going into a season because of that lack of experience at left tackle and at quarterback. So, you know, regardless of what lens you look at it from, I mean, if you know roster management and understand it, uh, it's a very interesting year. But, look, if, if you're in a great spot as a fan if we're sitting here talking about 9-3 and three being a down year. <laughs> no doubt about it. Jay Crane, host of National Sports Show, Crane and & Company, and, of course, last week in Destin, the SEC spring meetings, divisionless football in the Southeastern yep. Conference in 2024. And whether it was going to be eight games, whether it was going to be nine conference games, that was the great debate and what a lot of people will continue to be talking about. But your thoughts on divisionless football and possibly losing some of those every year rivalries that have occurred for so long? Well, for, I love divisionless football, right? The, the goal is for the two best teams to play in the conference championship game. And when you have divisions, it limits the amount of teams that can possibly play in the conference championship game against each other. The Big Ten's a great example. Who's going divisionless in 2024 uh, as well? Ohio State and Michigan have been the two best teams. In, in the Big Ten for a while, but you have the Big Ten West over there that's weaker than a one-arm weightlifter, uh, and they have to throw a team in there to just get thrown to the wolves against Michigan or Ohio State. So, so I like it. Now, when it comes to the eight game or the nine game, uh, 
I love watching SEC football. I love football in general, but SEC football is top-notch. Uh, I would love for them to add another game. I understand where Greg Sankey's coming from. Look, his job is to make the most money and put the SEC in the best position possible. These other guys that are affiliated with individual universities, their job is to put their individual university in the best position possible. So when it comes down to the TV rights negotiation, which most of this hinges on, not all of it, I understand Greg Sankey saying, listen, we want to get paid more for a ninth in conference game. And then on the other end, ESPN saying, well, that wasn't in the contract. We're not going to pay you more for something you wanted to add. I, I can totally sympathize with both of those positions. It's a negotiation. You have some teams that have 2024 out of conference games that they didn't want to cancel and it caused a problem there. But, but the, the biggest problem I had was the mindset with some of these programs. The argument against going to nine games was, well, we, we want to make sure we get to six and six so we can get to a bowl game. Outside of Vanderbilt, if you're a team in the SEC and you're just hoping to get to six and six, you're already behind the eight ball and you better figure it out quick or somebody else is going to be in there trying to go six and six. So uh, I, I, I saw it as kind of a mindset problem with some of these teams because when we go to this 12-team playoff, you're going to start hearing a term we hear in college basketball all the time, bubble teams, bubble teams. Well, what does a bubble team need at the end of the regular season? You need games against good teams to be able to control your own destiny, and that ninth game against a quality team may be the difference in you getting that 11th spot, getting that 12th spot in that college football playoff. So I had a problem with the mindset of some of these programs outside of just the pure, strictly business negotiation that's going on for that ninth game. Well, it's going to be interesting. Again, divisionless football, whether you like it or not, it's coming. And I tell you, you know, I like the fact that, again, the best two teams should always be the teams playing in the championship game. And that, whether it's clear cut or not, I think that we'll have scenarios that we can sit and debate, just like we debate the NCAA tournament, the le the next four out or the first four out, however you want to look at it, with the college football expansion going to 12 games versus four. But I, I will go back and I'll retread a story that came up a couple of days ago in college football. I know growing up, I absolutely loved EA Sports College Football. Had no clue that there was a College Football Players Association. Did not know that that existed. But why in the world are is it does it boil down to really name, image, and likeness money? Or do you think the players just want a video game to where they can look at the back of their jerseys for the next 25, 30, 40 years knowing that their name, image, and likeness is on there? Will we have a college football game to look forward to or will we not? Yeah, well, if you want to see a revolt that, like against the players, let this college football game not get released. Now, it, it always comes down to money at the end of the day. I mean, just look at the PGA Tour and the Live Tour. When you get to a certain point, really in any facet of life, it comes down to money as sad as that is, but it's reality. Uh, what I don't understand is, you know what? If I'm EA Sports, here's the deal. You don't want you, you're not happy with the money that we're paying you, we won't put you in the game. I mean, heck, I played the game when Robert Griffin was left-handed, white, and had dreads. I mean, <laughs> yes. it doesn't matter to me at the end of the day. If I'm EA Sports, people are going to buy that game. Then I'm just going to upload the roster. So at the end of the day, uh, the bottom line to me for EA Sports should be getting the game out, and, and I don't see anything slowing that down. Well, Jake, I, we can't thank you enough for taking time out of your busy schedule. We know that, hey, look, it's been sports from sunup to sundown for <laughs> you especially. And I know, you know the roots that you have here to South Alabama and your coaching connection and just your knowledge that you have and your coaching tree. 
uh, from a family tradition. So, again, love all the great knowledge that you always drop in. Again, how can people listen to all the great knowledge from a football standpoint, from a life standpoint, and everything in between each and every day? Oh, well, man, I, I really, really appreciate that. You know, we try and put a, a, a good product out there. Uh, my co-host, David Cohn, not the pitcher. Everybody thinks he's the pitcher. Like he said, I've never played for the Mets. Uh, but he played quarterback at Michigan. My brother played in college, coached in college. And uh, I really appreciate the compliments, man. I love coming on here. Y'all do a great job. Uh, I've got a, a great relationship with y'all station. Y'all are first class. But, yeah, uh, you can go to YouTube. It's Crane and Company, C-R-A-I-N and Company. Uh, or go to Daily Wire, Daily Wire Plus for the sports show over there as well. Uh, we don't get super political, though. So uh, it's kind of sports the way you're used to used to hearing it growing up. We try and, you know, stick to the obvious stuff. Uh, but, yeah, man, uh, come check us out. Excuse me, as I choke to death live on air. <laughs> um, come check us out. We're live each weekday morning, 630 to 8 a.m. Central. Uh, again, we talk about everything. We take live calls, have a live chat. So uh, I really appreciate it, guys, and I'm always down to come on. Jake, appreciate you so much. Continue to be blessed. Have a great weekend, and we'll talk to you again very soon here on The Final Drive. Hey, y'all, too. I'm about to go cook a steak and watch some of this college baseball. Y'all have a great night. Do the same. Enjoy. Jake Crane, Crane and Company, joining us here on The Final Drive on WNSP 105.5. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Vern Lundquist from CBS Sports. You're listening to WNST Mobile, Alabama. I want to thank Jake Crane for jumping on with us here on the final drive. And, of course, you have the media members talking to NBA coaches yesterday and, of course, pregame as well. But Eric Spolstra to be one of those underrated coaches, one of the most underrated coaches probably in the history of the NBA, regardless of whether you have superstars, LeBron and D. Wade and Chris Bosh, it, it really doesn't matter. The fact you still have to find a way as a head coach to get things done. And now that D. Wade and LeBron are gone, Spolstra has found second life in Miami and given Jimmy Butler an opportunity to really shine and put that roster together. But Always love to hear some of the thoughts on Eric Spolstra in regard to his mindset in the NBA. Coach, uh, I'm very interested in your career arc and becoming one of the premier coaches in the league that you're considered today. Um, I'm wondering um, how different is this experience, this stage in your career compared to when you first came up as a head coach working with LeBron and Dwayne Wade? How different do you feel kind of in your own skin here in the finals? In comparison to uh, your first finals appearance as a head coach? Yeah, all, all the experiences are different, uh, and you want to be fully present, you know, for the team uh, and what's happening right now. Uh, I, I've said this during this playoff run, the more experience you have, uh, the more perspective you have about how difficult this really is. Uh, these are uh, extremely difficult challenges and you know, you end up being even more grateful, you know, for the opportunities to compete at the highest level. That's what we all want. This is the stage that you want to be able to compete and, and have everything decided between those four lines and find out, you know, how, how uh, your team stacks up. Um, 
But it is tough. It's tough going through the gauntlet of three rounds to get to this level. And then when you get to this level, it, it should be what it is. It's the highest level of competition. And our guys thrive in that. They love it. Um, you know, even after games like last night, uh, our guys love to compete and put it all out there. Eric Spolstra's words and thoughts on the NBA Finals, and he's exactly right. Embracing and enjoying the moment. This is someone that's a two-time NBA champion in 2012 and 2013. And when he started his coaching career, did so as a film guy. So he's paid his dues from everything from an assistant coach to a now head coach of the Miami Heat. And I think that, you know, he wins an a NBA championship as an assistant coach also. But he's one of those guys that really, really is one of the best in regards to how humble he is, how hardworking he is, and what it takes to get to the top. And whether the Miami Heat win his third NBA championship as a head coach or not, it'll be interesting to see what happens. Sure. I That was, uh, that was a profound quote. I liked hearing his perspective on that. You know, it's always, it's always cool to hear from a guy who's been there multiple times to hear like you know how different it is going because again like talk about a guy who's had just a fascinating career arc he wins and i believe it was 06 with d wade for the first time and then uh you know has you know the the first not not the it's not right to say the first but you know in in this era at least that kind of the start of the quote-unquote super team era and, and lebron and d wade and, and bosh and is you know obviously that team you could argue should have won more rings and and uh you know he just talks about how hard it is and now you know kind of he's still a young guy but he's kind of in like the third act of his career and uh you know kind of with a with an entirely new core obviously d wade is long gone but now now it's jimmy butler that's putting the team on his back and it's bam and you know he this is a guy that went to the finals in the bubble so he, he really just a uh interesting perspective to hear from coach bo I know that you would probably be surprised to know that even though he has been the Heat head coach since 08, that he's already ranking in the 20th all-time win list for NBA head coaches. And I think that he'll continue to see himself moving forward. I mean, he's in his sixth appearance as head coach in the NBA Finals. Like I said earlier, it's hard to get there once, much less have an opportunity to appear in six and win or lose. I still think that Spolstra, having won those two, still will be going down as one of the greatest coaches in the history of the NBA. Yeah, so my, my mistake there, I did. So he was an assistant during the 2006 title, so I didn't actually realize that he didn't become the head coach until 2008. But, yeah, I mean, talk, he's got been been in Miami as an assistant since, like, 1995. Yeah. He, I mean, he, this is a guy who spent spent really his entire life as, as a coach or as video assistant or whatever some, in some sort of coaching role for the Miami Heat. It's really, you know, it's crazy to think about. Very impressive feat and... Can he make the adjustments? Because that's what, I mean, when you're sitting and you're studying film and you want to find a way to break down weaknesses, he's going to find and expose those weaknesses tonight for the Denver Nuggets. And as long as his team doesn't lay down and quit on him, which when their backs are against the wall, the Miami Heat all season long, even from being an eight seed, have proven that they don't give up 
when their backs are against the wall and they're going to come out swinging, especially with this game being on the Heat's home floor after coming off an embarrassing loss. No. Throughout the playoffs, they've shown to be very resilient. No, it's like the type of situation where if you've if you were just picking the game, everything, every force in, in nature is going to make you think, all right, the Nuggets are going to win this game. And, I, and by the way, it is why I'm picking the Nuggets tonight. But, heck, if you've watched the Heat during this playoff run and how resilient they've been and, you know, the fact that they're an eight seed, it doesn't matter. Throw, throw the seeds out the window at this point. But, you know, the fact that <laughs> how, how much they've bounced back throughout this entire run, I mean, heck. It, it is tough to pick against them. Well, I just know that when you look at the game being Friday tonight, game four, and then having to wait until Monday to go back to Denver, it, it's going to make a huge difference, win or lose, with the mentality that the Heat ultimately are facing. Because let's face it, the Celtics are down three games to none and find a way to battle back against this same Miami Heat team. Yeah. They gave up three wins in a row yeah. and then ultimately go to Boston and do something nobody thought that they could do besides no themselves. No, ab absolutely no. Like, you, you find find me someone who, who said the Heat were going to win Game 7 in Boston. I'll, that, fi that, I'll find you a liar. Yeah, I mean, that's exactly what, what people just didn't think were going to happen with the Heat going on the road in Game 7 to Boston and winning. And after the way that they played Game 1, people were looking to get out the brooms and go ahead and sweep the Miami Heat away. But they're, just, they're that pesky gnat that just won't go away. It just keeps buzzing and buzzing in your ear, buzzing hmm. in your ear, and you can never quite kill it. You can never quite swat it. And, and when you think you have it, it finds a way to fly away and go ahead and bug you another day, literally. That's why I'm going with, like, Jokic is the man to swat that fly. You, you know what I mean? Like, if there's one man in these playoffs to, to finally squash that bug, and I think it is the perfect analogy, credit to you. Like, Jokic is the man with the fly swatter, and Jokic is the man who's going to do it. And I, I, I think they do go up 3-1 tonight and, and effectively end the series. The final drive on WNSP 105.5. It's a Friday edition of the final drive. Hope everyone has had a great work week. We'll be right back here on the other side. This is Jordan Farley from the University of Alabama. You're listening to 105.5 WNSP. Roll time. Welcome back to the final drive on WNSP 105.5. Corey LeBounty, along with my producer, Michael Brauner, joining you this Friday afternoon. And, of course, we were talking a little earlier with Jake Crane, and we made mention of Deion Sanders when we were talking about his son, Shadur playing quarterback and being invited to the Manning Passing Academy. Well, Deion Sanders had some criticism back at head coach at Pittsburgh, Pat Narduzzi. He mm. said, I don't know who he is. And Prime, you know, <laughs> Prime, he knows good and well who he is. But Deion doing Deion things and the fact that Deion Sanders has seen over 70 
players leave his program it, since he arrived. You know, here's the 70. thing. I actually don't doubt that Dion doesn't know who Pat Narduzzi is, but odd. Uh, not even odd. I don't like it's it's about on brand for Dion. We're talking about the guy who's been the head coach of a major program since 2015, Dion. I mean, I know Dion is Dion, and no nobody thinks more highly of Dion than Dion, but you know, maybe a little bit of respect. I don't know. Is I, that too much to ask? It, you, I think it boils down to. I mean, Dion said if he walked in here right now, I don't know who he is. I wouldn't know him. And the fact that you don't know him, I mean, I think that you know, let's Coach put Pitt Smart, against let's put Pitt against Colorado this year. See, that, that, <laughs> see how well you, you know him after that. That's what you would love to see for sure this season, especially. Get them on the schedule. See me on the schedule. You want to you want to call me out? Come see me on the schedule. But I, I think that Coach Narduzzi's point was the fact that he's he's an old school guy. He he doesn't really care for the fact that coaches are totally rebuilding their roster with the transfer portal and 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 players aren't having to sit out. And the fact that Dion possibly has the number one transfer portal recruiting class in the country and has had over 50 commitments since his 70 players departure i mean you, you can't argue with the success that he's having in boulder yeah let me say this for the record uh i'm not a fan of pat narduzzi i'm not a fan of anyone who like at this point in 2023 goes out of their way to like openly criticize the transfer portal and NIL and like just complains about it. like at this point I've, like we've talked about this toothpaste out of the tube like adapt or die uh, and if you're going to like spend time openly complaining like players should have to sit out like man shut up just just deal with it and figure it out and figure out figure out a way for it to work for your program. I know Narduzzi is still upset that Jordan Addison left for USC. The Boletnikoff winner at Pitt eventually leaves probably for a big NIL deal and to play with Caleb Williams at USC. So I get it, and I get, like, Pitt's kind of a school, like, in that, like, obviously they're a major program, but they're kind of a school where you can understand the fact that, all right, you have a really good player that goes to Pitt. You understand why they might want to take a little bit of a step up, and that's no disrespect to Pitt. That's just reality. Uh, but, man, like, if you're Pat Narduzzi, like, just, man, just sh shut up and deal with it. But, Figure it out. But is there such thing as tampering in college football now with, with the portal? Like, probably. Be, being the way it is? Probably. I, I, I mean, that's one of the things you just mentioned, the relationship that Narduzzi had with Lincoln Riley at USC and called him multiple times to discuss tampering issues. But whether you like it or not, the fact that the transfer portal is here, NIL is here, and, and Dion mentioned it, Travis Hunter, who went to Jackson State to play for Dion Sanders, and he didn't go to Jackson State to play for Jackson State. He went to Jackson State. Mm -hmm. He was a five-star recruit, the number one player in the country, mm -hmm. went to Jackson State because of Deion Sanders. And he left to go to Colorado and follow Deion Sanders there. I guarantee he could have made Bryce Young or Angel Reese-type money from an NIL standpoint, but he stayed loyal to Deion in the portal along with Deion Sanders' sons, Shadur and Shiloh, wouldn't expect anything else 
from his own sons. But the fact that we're having this discussion about Pitts, Pat Narduzzi, and Deion Sanders beefing about the transfer portal, I'm surprised 70 is what Deion got rid of, and he has 50 new ones coming in. I'm surprised that number is just 70, to be honest with you. Well, he was bringing his own luggage, and it's Louis. So. <laughs> <laughs> man, I, man, That's I, a I, quote. Uh, I never, I never prey on a man's downfall, but Dion, uh, I, I'm hoping they go. I'm hoping they go 0 and 12 this year, man. I, I don't, you know, I think that he'll, he, he'll probably win maybe three games. I mean, they, they have like just throw all the the roster turnover and the fact that Dion's never coached at at a at a power five level before. Uh, they have a very legitimately difficult schedule, and Colorado hasn't won a Pac-12 game in two years now. Uh, so, you know, throw out the fact that I think Dion is a clown, which I do, uh, you know, they do have, they do have a legitimately very difficult schedule. Like they opened with TCU. I think they, you know, they, they have a lot of tough of the, uh, the tougher pac 12 teams on there. I think they play Oregon and USC. Uh, so yeah, it's going to be tough sledding for Dion. I, I hope, I hope he gets humbled pretty quickly, but you know, he never will. How do you humble Dion? You think oh if he goes zero and twelve this year he'll he'll quit nope. talking? Absolutely not. <laughs> I think he'll talk even more. Being zero and twelve or having a losing record, only winning two or three games, because what will happen is the following year when he continues to rack in a, a probably a top five recruiting class in the country. Mm, I think that's say a bit he'll optimistic. He'll have one of the largest turnarounds in, in college football history. Well, and that's what he'll be beating his chest about. Once it turns into wins, he can start beating his chest. I don't know, man. I, again, I, I just I just don't like the guy. <laughs> well, I, I will say this. His antics are what I don't like. Yeah. He may be a great person, a great dad, a great father. Can't argue with that. But from a humility standpoint or from a standpoint of standing up, and he's never been one that is – it's been short for words. That's for sure. No doubt about it. And we'll see how many wins Colorado is going to come away with. Our new segment this week that we debuted, what day is it? we got to figure out what day it is, whether it's a national holiday. We know it's Friday, but at the same time, what is going on? Last Friday, we had National Donut Day. Earlier this week, we had National Chocolate Ice Cream Day. We'll find out what is special about today as well. Hey, this is Slick Billy Shaw from the world-famous Harlem Globetrotters, and you're listening to Sports Radio WNSP 105.5 FM. of the final drive and of course national today we need to know what national holidays or national days it is today on this friday june 9th what day is it mike listen guess what today is <laughs> what day is it what day is it june 9th 
Michael Broner, it's National Meal Prep Day. Oh, that's a good one. National Meal Prep Day, something that I probably need to do a lot better job of doing. I've done a lot better of a job, but still need to keep doing better of a job than I do. Uh, you know, there's nothing like knowing, oh, I don't have to cook tonight. I got food in the fridge already. And, and I agree. It's a good, it's a good situation. And, and from a portion size as well. That, that's the biggest thing about National Meal Prep Day that I can respect. You can fix whatever you want to, and as far as having it ready to go and eat as much as you want, but if you're trying to lose weight, drop the pounds, you can go ahead and meal prep. That's a great way to do it. Now, here's something that I know Deion Sanders can definitely relate to. We just finished talking about primetime. National No Apologies Period Day. No apology, period. No apology. National no apologies, period day. Yeah. I, huh. I mean, you don't want to apologize, so there you go. Don't don't, don't, don't right. apologize. And, Keep that in mind. Do you have anything to apologize for to anyone? Uh, yeah, I probably do, but not can't, today. Can't do it today. I was going to say, not today, <laughs> Michael Brown. Here's another one that, that I know that I love. National Strawberry Rhubarb Pie Day. I don't think I've ever had a strawberry rhubarb pie, but it's something that sounds like it'd be right up my alley. Well, I will say this, that you go to Loxley and the Strawberry Festival that's wrapping right around April time, you, you can get pretty much any delectable strawberry treat that you want there in Loxley at the Loxley Strawberry mm. Festival. Can't go wrong with that. When is that? For sure. It's in April. I want to say maybe the first week in April. Uh, so I got to wait o yeah, 11 gotta, months gotta, now, 10 months? Yeah, you got to wait until it rolls back around could've, again. Could have told me that two months ago. But I, I will make sure that you definitely don't don't miss that one for sure. Now, now here's one growing up that I definitely love to do, and, and I love to hear people do impersonations. National Donald Duck Day. <laughs> National Donald Duck Day. And... It doesn't get any more famous than Donald Duck. You, you can you do a Donald Duck impersonation? I can't. I'm that not even going to attempt. My my mom does like a scary good Donald Duck. Like it's <laughs> it's it's really impressive. You know, maybe if she's listening, she can call in real quick. I bet she is. Uh, you know, so shout out to her. But yeah, I, I cannot. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna attempt. I'll embarrass myself. But yes, the, the uh, Donald Duck National Donald <laughs> Duck Day. <laughs> Is is today? Go one more time. <laughs> Mike Michael Broner sounds more like a gremlin. That's what I mean. I I, I can't I can't do it. It's, it's like not scratchy and I I for I can't do. It. I can do a lot of impressions. I, I can't do Donald. I can do a better Donald Trump than a better Donald Duck. So it, I I just I I can't do Donald Duck. If if and and today you definitely don't want to be. Uh, you you want to be Donald Duck? Yeah. Today. Unfortunately, sure. unfortunately, that's the extent of my Donald Duck. National. Mitchell Day. If your name's Mitchell, you, you have a National Mitchell Day today. I'm close. Can and, I claim it? And, and also here, here, National Helen Day. I I don't I don't know anyone named Helen. Come on, you know at least one person named Helen, Michael Brown. Uh, do, do I? Yes. Who? 
you know no one by the name of Helen. Right, if you're just like guessing that, no, I don't. I don't think I do. If you're if you're telling me someone I forget about, I'm forgetting about, then then fill me in. You but didn't have a classmate named Helen. I don't think. I think that's a that that's that name might have missed my generation, man. I don't think I went to school. I don't think I went to school with anyone named Helen. Well, at, at least I went. I went to school in Alabama. I, I went what, to school what about in a big today's class. Today's also National Earl Day. I saw that one too, and I don't know an Earl either. Broner knows no Helens, knows no Earls. I don't know any. Again, you know, I think those are two names that skipped my generation a little bit. And and and, and you presently don't know any Helens or any Earls. I don't think so. Well, we we tried to get that done, and I, I will say this too, you know, for for the for one of the most interesting ones, and, and there's been some good ones. This today, June 9th, is National Sex Day. And it's time to talk about the birds and the bees <laughs> when you talk about National Sex Day on June 9th. That's that's what it is here on NationalDay.com. You never know what you're going to get in regards to what day that's it is. quite an end to the week there. But there there it is, uh, an end to the week. And I, I will say that, you know, it's been a phenomenal day here on a Friday final drive. want to thank Hank Smith for breaking down our Texas Longhorn recruiting. Roger Hoover, he gives Bama a chance against Wake Forest tomorrow at 11 a.m. Roger Hoover joined us from the Crimson Tide Sports Network. Our special guest, Jeremiah Castile, want to thank him for jumping on. He'll be at Mount Heron's Men's Conference this evening, the former University of Alabama All-American back in 1982. And Jake Crane from Crane & Company also joined us this afternoon on the final drive. It's been a spectacular week. Game number four tonight. Denver and Miami. I've got Miami coming away with the W. Want to thank everyone for checking in this week on the final drive.